Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald face truth. We're going to talk some college football on today's show, but we got to start with this Ime Adoka stuff. Matt Barnes coming out, speaking out about why he at first supported Ime Adoka and then later backed off of it. Retired NBA forward uh, is saying that it is much worse, a hundred times uglier than any of us thought. I wrote about Udoka today, and I feel comfortable with what I wrote about because I'm not defending Ime Udoka. I don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. None of us knows what happens. But here's Matt Barnes, former NBA player, talking about the Ime Adoka situation. Now, remember, Barnes went public defending Adoka, saying why would he be suspended and whatnot. Last night, uh, without knowing all the facts, I spoke on Ime Udoka's defense. And after finding out the facts after I spoke, I erased what I posted because this situation in Boston is deep. It's messy. It's a hundred times uglier than any of us thought. And... That's why I erased what I said. Uh, some things happened that I can't condone, I can't back, and it's not my place to tell you what happened. If it ends up coming out, it ends up coming out. But that was the reason why I erased my post last night because after I posted it, I got a call from someone who had all the details and it's deep. Matt Barnes, former NBA player speaking out. Now I wrote today about Adoka, but essentially, my hope here is that Ime Adoka uses this opportunity to, uh, you know, my hope is that this is the end of the story, right? And that he uses this opportunity to grow and learn and whatnot. But I want to focus on the Celtics because I did in my piece this morning. Uh, I did not like that the Boston Celtics let this leak in the way they did. I don't like that they're letting people on social media and they're letting others craft the narrative of what happened inside the organization because I feel like the uh, Boston Celtics have left the rest of their female employees out here to face the scrutiny of the public. There are a limited number, number of women, limited number of women who work for the Celtics who appear on their websites. Speculation in the last 24 to 72 hours has just been rampant. People have been taking screenshots of the faces and the names of women on the Boston Celtics uh, staff roster and posting them across social platforms going, well, it has to be one of this this person or this person or that person or that person. And, and I don't like it. And Brad Stevens came out and addressed that point today for the Boston Celtics. But I feel like the Celtics themselves are to blame for this. You know, we have a lot of talented um, women in our organization. And <clears throat> I thought yesterday was really hard on them. And I think that, um, you know, nobody can control Twitter speculation and rampant. But, um, 
I do think that we, as an organization, um, have a responsibility to make sure we're there to support them now. Because um, a lot of people were dragged unfairly into that. I agree with Brad Stevens, but I think the Celtics are the, are the organization that started part of that process by letting this leak in the way that they did. Like, they could have been clearer about, hey, you know, uh, you know, not the identity of the person, but they could have been clearer to eliminate, I think, some of the people who have uh, unfairly been scrutinized here. Uh, the other thing that is bothering me is, you know, Brad Stevens is talking about what a difficult day it was for the women who work for the Boston Celtics. Well, I think that it extends beyond that. I think it extends to Celtics fans. It extends to stakeholders, season ticket holders, women who root for the Celtics. Because I think when something like this happens, I think that you have to always look at the organization and wonder, like, is this a one-off situation or is there a environment in the Celtics front office that is sort of uh, making all this stuff, um, you know, bubble up? And, you know, the fact that the Celtics uh, have replaced Udoka with an interim coach who has a domestic violence battery charge on his criminal record is tone deaf to me. And that's what makes me step back because the Celtics owner uh, came out today Wick Rusbeck came out and said, you know, we feel like this is an isolated incident. We feel like, we, you know, we we handled this with Ime Odoka. But you've got Joe Mazzula, the interim coach. He was cited for public urination. He was arrested at a Pirates game for underage drinking and aggravated assault. He was arrested and charged with domestic battery. He grabbed a woman by the neck, allegedly, at a bar in West Virginia when he was a college student. And, yeah, I get that the crimes were a decade plus ago, but and I am all for second or third chances, but given the undertone of this Udoka story, given that, you know, women who work for the Celtics, I think, have been unfairly scrutinized uh, in this process, I think it's tone deaf for the Boston Celtics to come out and make Joe Mazzulla the interim coach. It wasn't like he was the lead assistant. Like, they reached down to make Joe Mazzulla the guy. And it really is disappointing to hear that. Here's Wick Grusbeck, the the Celtics owner. Personal belief, but as a man, but as the CEO of the organization, is that we take, uh, we go to great lengths or, you know, appropriate lengths at least to run the organization with the value, central core value of respect and um, freedom in the workplace from harassment or any unwelcome attention. And so isolated incidents uh, or patterns, if they occur, may be isolated or they may be a deeper signal. I personally don't believe that they're a deeper signal, but we will be, I will be personally talking to the members of the organization and making sure that that's the case. But this feels very much to me like uh, one of a kind, um, but that's my personal belief, but I'll have to verify that. Yeah, you have to verify that. And while you're at it, maybe don't promote the guy with the domestic violence, uh, you know, conviction on his record as your new coach while you're out here trying to find out who your next coach is going to be. And, oh, by the way, if you're going to suspend Ime Odoka for a year, we talked about this yesterday, just fire the guy. Like, if it's if it's that big of a deal, this you like this sounds like it's a serious infraction. There were unwanted, unwelcome uh, comments, and I don't know who what it involves. I don't know to what extent it goes, but it seemed like Matt Barnes was, you know, alarmed enough to back off of his original 
statement that, you know, Ime Adoka should not be suspended, it, it's troubling to me. We're going to talk some college football on today's show, but I had to start with the Celtics, who are busy um, trying to give the appearance, I think, that they care about women, they value women, they're saying the right things, while they are promoting an assistant coach who's got a domestic battery conviction on his record. Like, let's be clear about what the Celtics are doing here. Uh, Steven, Sean, how you guys doing, man? What do you what'd you make of Matt Barnes putting the post up and then taking the post down? Yeah, I'm doing good, John. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because a lot of times, you know, these athletes they just are gonna back each other no matter what, and so it didn't feel like that's what he did at the start. But to come back and kind of go against what he said and it says, "I take it back," you know, we talked about this yesterday. It seemed like there's more to this story that we don't know, right? And that's what Matt Barnes kind of alluded to is that. There's a lot more that we don't know what's going on, and will it ever come out? Hopefully it does, so we can figure out exactly who was in the wrong, what exactly is wrong. Uh, but it just it is interesting to see, and you know, I give him credit for owning what he said and then taking it back and having a new stance, because a lot of people wouldn't do that. They would just double down and try to get the clicks, but you know, he said he was wrong, and now he's going on a new statement, so I respect him for doing that. I think this has all just been a... PR nightmare for the Boston Celtics, the way they've released dif- leaked different news and um, just the way the way this story is all coming about. It's open to so much speculation. And, you know, now Matt Barnes comes out and that clip kind of goes viral. And now it's open to even more speculation about what could have been done. And, of course, there was speculation the other day about um, different females within the Boston Celtics organization that, you know, people on social media were kind of, you know, um, were... Th- you know, wondering if it could have, it's just all been, it's all been a mess. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, this story, this story does dissolve soon because it's been a mess for everyone involved. Yeah. And I, and I feel for the women who work for the Celtics, like, you know, if, if I feel for the woman who was directly involved in this relationship in this incident with Ime Adoka, it must've escalated to the point where she needed to report it, go to HR, whatnot. We'll get details. This will all get out at some point. Um, you know, I think Ime Adoka was a great story. You know, I mean, this is a Portland kid who grew up, uh, you know, in poverty. He had talked about the electricity getting shut off at his, at his house as a kid. He lived in a motel for a while. He took the bus to go to pickup games. He was working at FedEx at nights. He had some knee surgeries. Like, you know, he kind of navigated his way from Portland to the NBA as a player and then the NBA as a coach and look out to the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals as a coach. Like, this was a huge success story. And Ime Adoka presumably has embarrassed himself and he looks selfish and dumb. And, and you know, he, he's probably getting what he deserves. I, I assume, I have to assume that the Boston Celtics are, uh, you know, le- putting this punishment upon him because they feel like they can't have him on their bench this season. So um, to that point, like the Celtics, I think, handled the leak of this wrong. Somebody inside the Celtics organization leaked this first and foremost. Then they handled the subsequent fallout like a PR team that didn't know that this was going to be a big story. And then when they give Ime Adoka this suspension and promote Joe Missoula, like it's like they're they're not like did they not google joe Missoula? like he was you know he's got all these criminal issues and yes they're in his past but given the undertones of what we're talking about here with Ime Adoka, the franchise is trying to say we put women first we put we value the workplace we think that the workplace should be 
a safe space for women to work, and Ime Adoka made some unwanted advances and whatever else he did, and he's suspended for a year, and now we're going to go grab somebody who's got a domestic battery conviction for grabbing a woman by the neck at a bar. We're going to make that guy our head coach. Like, you could have done better. You should have done better. Damon Stoudemire was on your bench for crying out loud. Promote him. It would have been a big, you know, at least it would have been, hey, uh, there's there's a success story somewhere in there. But as it stands right now, I don't think, I'm pretty sure this is just the beginning for the Boston Celtics. we got a great show for you today. we got big guests. Uh, we're going to be talking to Brian Howell, who covers the Colorado program. Carl Durrell is on the hot seat. How hot is the seat, and can they get it right this week against UCLA? I think it's a big, uh, you know, uh, embarrassment or eyesore in the Pac-12. When you look over at Colorado, you expect them to be decent or better. They're not. They're non-competitive. How much patience will Colorado have with Carl Durrell? We'll talk to Brian Howell about that. Also, Ashley Adamson of the Pac-12 Network will be with us. She is going to be on the USC-Oregon State game. She met with... Lincoln Riley and Jonathan Smith today. Ashley Adamson will be with us at 4 o'clock to talk about what she learned and what she thinks about this Oregon State-USC game. I learned some things this week, and I learned some things in the last 24 hours about the Pac-12. I'll share with you next a few things that I learned this week. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we got Oregon State, USC. That game is taking place tomorrow in Corvallis at Reeser Stadium. We've got Oregon at Washington State. Full slate of games in the Pac-12 Conference. I still want to talk about Ime Adoka. If you want to talk about it, 503-417-7575 is the number. Uh, coming up, I'll tell you a few things I learned this week. And a few things I learned overnight when, as it pertains to the Pac-12 conference. Let's go to Josh in Vancouver, who's going to lead us off here. Josh, what's on your mind? Hey, John. First, uh, let me say thank, you know, thank you for everything that you do. Uh, you know, as we go through our work week, you know, some weeks are better than others. Uh, this week really felt long for me. I, I don't know why. Maybe, I, maybe it was stuff in the news. Maybe it was just my work. I don't know. It just, I'm ready for the weekend, man. But. Um, I get a small window of time with you every day that uh, I feel like, you know, is, is entertaining for me, a lot of times educational. We don't always agree, but I think that's kind of the beauty of, of having good dialogue and, and sharing different perspectives. Um, so, hey, man, before I get into what I wanted to share, I just wanted to tell you, have a great weekend. Thank you for everything that you do, and uh, just keep doing what you're doing because it's having a huge impact, and, and there are a ton of people out here that appreciate you. Thank you for that. that Thank you. Said, you're welcome. With that being said, so I, it's kind of interesting, this Ime Adoka thing. Um, I think the biggest area that the Celtics have made a mistake is this, is by coming out and leaking, and I think that the leak definitely came from the Celtics. I think yep. by leaking the incident without sharing any details, that has made this a bigger story than it otherwise would have been because you have people who don't know. Some people want to defend Ime Odoka because they have no idea really what's going on. And so they're just assuming that things are one thing or another, whereas if the facts came out, maybe some people, 
it would be more finite on a position that people would take and how they view the circumstances. So I think from the Boston Celtics perspective, the biggest area that they've made a mistake is letting this get out without really any information to allow people to digest it quickly, make whatever decision or have an opinion they want to have on it, and then move on. What I can only hope from the Celtics' position is this, and the NBA really needs this to be the case, that the reason that the Celtics couldn't share the details of what's actually happened is because they have no other choice than to protect the integrity of some of the people that are involved that otherwise could be further impacted, hurt, or whatever if information were to get out. That's all I got for you, John. I appreciate you, man. Have a wonderful weekend. Keep up the work. All right, a couple things here. I I, I think the caller's right with the, you know, anytime you get a story that's interesting or compelling and you don't have all the details, what happens? People fill in the blanks with worst-case scenario, scenarios they've seen elsewhere, um, with the Imeadoka situation, it has ranged from people speculating that the individual that he had the consensual relationship with may be somebody that is his subordinate. Uh, other people believe that that individual may be married to someone else inside the organization. And that's why this is getting ugly. Um, someone else is, uh, I've seen speculation that the leak came from a jealous spouse. I've seen speculation that, uh, you know, that the, this was, uh, Ime Odoka was interviewed about this by the Celtics and he misled them and he lied. And that's why they're mad and giving him a one-year suspension. Like, nobody knows and we don't have those details. But certainly, the way this came out leaves so much interpretation and in, in unknown that we all have, uh, we are all left with, uh, you know, not enough information to go on and a severe punishment and it doesn't look good and if you're out there and you are speculating that the woman involved is the spouse of someone in upper management or ownership somebody of importance you're probably not alone with that and here i am being guilty of the very thing that i'm accusing people doing would that help explain part of this Stephen sean or does that feel like it's maybe out in left field I mean, it's so hard to tell. I mean, I think you're right that, yeah, that would be a big, important part of it. But I was talking to my dad about this, and he just made a good point. Like, the Celtics, it may just be also that the Celtics, just PR-wise, are just trying to, you know, defend themselves. And we've seen other people be fired for, you know, cheating on their wives or whatever. You know, Bobby Petrino comes to mind. Yes, he paid her off, and he had the motorcycle crash, but, like, he did the same thing. Like, he was a consensual relationship, and he got fired because of it. Like, this isn't the craziest thing to happen. So I think you could be right, but, again, it's like we have no idea what exactly happened. So it's it's just so hard to tell, like, this is the reason and this is the path they're going about. So we just have no idea. Yeah, and I think that's part of the issues they've left us here. And Look, if you're the Boston Celtics, like, you know, you, you definitely need to respect and honor the woman involved if, in fact – Ime Adoka made some unwanted comments or advances or whatnot, and then you, in the end, you go, okay, he's got to serve a service suspension. We're not okay with this. We got to get this guy out of the building for the next year. Um, but if you're saying you got to get him out of the building for the next year, you're undermining his leadership, and 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 by extension, you might as well just cut him loose. You might as well just say there's no tolerance for that in this organization. He's gone. So it 
it leaves such a cloud of suspicion and so many questions unanswered that it's ridiculous. I'm sure we'll get more on it. It's why I wrote today, when I wrote today, I went after the Celtics a little bit. Like, Amy Adoka got what he deserved, right? I mean, I, I think he, you know, he's going to be gone. He's not going to coach the Boston Celtics again. Hopefully he learns from it and he grows. But I went after the Celtics because I feel like the Celtics here are tone deaf. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and then to bring in Missoula, who has this record, which I brought up yesterday and you brought up today, like, you know, actions, actions speak louder than words. And Brad Stevens can come out and they can say, you know, we care about the women and we feel so bad, but then you go and you do this. Like, it, it's contradicting himself. And, you know, you may be right with the old, you know, if it was upper badge with Ime Udoka, but at the same time, if it is, why would they even want to bring him back? Like, that doesn't make sense to suspend him for a year. So I just, there's so many holes in this story. I, the Celtics are looking terrible in this spot. And uh, I agree with you. I hope everyone just learns from this situation that is involved. And then if this ever happens again, it can be taken care of in a much better, uh, much yeah. better place. Anna and I were talking about kind of, you know, the reasons why the Celtics uh, would have required Ime Adoka to report this relationship. Like, it could be a subordinate uh, relationship. He's the head coach of the Boston Celtics. You don't want to get in an HR situation and open the organization to potential uh, legal action uh, if by not uh, recognizing that relationship. And there's a reason why there's companies do ask their employees to disclose that. Um, I know that's hard for some people to understand, but, you know, he's in, the, he's in a position of authority with the Boston Celtics as the coach. And so... What I keep coming back to, my theory on it, is that, um, you know, as Matt Barnes says, it's ugly, ugly, uglier than, you know, we all expected. Okay, thanks, Matt. Thanks for throwing gasoline on the smoldering fire there. But it it feels to me like the individual that Ime Adoka was involved with has some connection to maybe other parts of the organization or ownership or, uh, you know, other management members or whatnot. I, I feel like... That is all coming down the pipeline. I feel like that is what we'll find out next. And to the caller's point, caller made a good point early in his call. He said, hey, thanks for being the diversion, more or less. This radio show being his diversion for part of his day, and his week has been long. i got to be honest with you. When I go to do this show, every day is like 3 o'clock starts to approach. Like, there are some days where I've got great energy, I got a lot to talk about, we got great guests, I'm feeling good. Those those shows are easy. But uh, there are other days just like your work day where it's a busy day, we're a little scattered or we're scrambling at the end or we are having a guest cancel, we're having to replace or or maybe uh, I was up late with the kids and or up early with the kids or both. And uh, I am going, all right, uh, where do I need to find my inspiration for doing this show? And I'll be honest with you, it's you. It's you, the listener. Like, when, when I think about this three hours, I want this three hours to be your escape. I want it to be your place where you can go that's unlike anywhere else you go. Like, if you're having a boss issue or you're just, it's a sloggy week and you just need a, you know, 15 minutes away from it or... You need three hours away from it or whatnot. I want this show to be that place you go. So it means a lot to me when we get a call like that. And it means a lot to me when I meet you. I see you in the grocery store or at a FedEx driver or a UPS driver or a United Postal Service worker who had the show on the day before. And, you know, and, I, and I'm coming out to pick out a package or get the mail. And they go, hey, thanks for getting me through my day. It means a lot to me. I, I take that seriously. We... I'll take I'll tell you this. We've done this show for like 17 years. I can tell you that we have never mailed it in. We have never we have some days where the show's good, some days when maybe the show's not as good. 
but I, it, but it's not for lack of effort. We want to play sideline to sideline, end zone to end zone, baseline to baseline. We want to play hard because I know that a lot of you are coming here to our place of work and you're going, get me away from my place of work or get me away from the bills that are stacked up on the counter or take me away from, you know, family issues that are going on or, you know, uh, a friendship that's gone sideways. So if this show can be that for you, great. It makes me feel good when we get a call like that or I have somebody in public go, hey, thank you for getting me through through my day. You get me through my day. I, I had numerous people say that and I, it means the world to me. Leave it here. What I found out and what I learned this week. Next. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. I'm getting some blowback on Twitter for tweeting out that the Beavers have been disrespected this week. The Beavers getting ready to play USC tomorrow, Research Stadium. Uh, I want to talk about what I learned, but I also want to play a clip. Here's Paul Feinbaum talking about USC getting to the playoff. Tell me how the Beavers should feel about this. I think it probably comes down to either Clemson or, or Southern Cal right now. And a couple weeks ago, geez, Sean, I was worried about Southern Cal, but I'm not worried about them now. I think they basically have about a two-game season. Uh, the most difficult game being at Utah, which which I, I still think is a formidable team, but but they're playing with, with such explosive explosiveness. I, I didn't expect it. I mean, I thought they would be significantly better. Uh, I still I'll, I'll defer to you on their defensive side of the ball, but but offensively right now they can hang with almost any team around. So I think uh, I, I think they they have to be considered a serious threat because I don't you know, you, uh, again uh, I see a couple of good teams. In the Pac-12, the records are deceiving, but I, I don't see a team that is on their level from a talent standpoint. The records are deceiving. He called it like a two-game schedule, and he's not talking about Oregon State. Here's another bit of disrespect for Oregon State, and I believe the Beavers have been disrespected. They are 3-0. and They have wins over Boise State, Fresno State, Montana State, and they are nowhere close to the top 25 they're not that close to the top 25 they're getting some votes but they're not there uh usc visiting corvallis is uh, opened up it is as a 13 and a half point favorite and caesars uh, it, you know may take a bath on this game if oregon state wins or covers close spreads now down to six and a half but caesars you know we talked about this yesterday it, it took a hundred and ten thousand dollar bet on the Beavers plus seven, they are going to take a bath if Oregon State uh, wins this game. So there's some disrespect out there for Oregon State. They're at home. They are unranked. They are 3-0. and And they're playing against a team that has wins over Fresno State, common opponent. Rice, not as good as Boise State. And, um, and the third game that uh, Stanford. So, you know, and, and for that... Uh, USC is ranked in the top 10, Oregon State unranked again. So it is disrespectful to Oregon State where they are. I feel like they should have some votes. They should be in the top 25. Uh, They will be if they beat USC on Saturday. But here's what I have learned in the last uh, 24 hours and this week. Uh, Yesterday on the show, I, you know, made my pick. Um, I I think it's going to be a really close game. I really like Oregon State. I think Oregon State can win this game at Reeser Stadium. 
I almost flipped my pick last night. But I, I would feel wishy-washy in the name of the show is the bald-faced truth. I, I damn near flipped my pick because I polled some of the current and former D coordinators in the Pac-12 about the matchup. I just texted a few that I know, and I said, hey, you've seen some film on Oregon State. You've seen USC a little bit. I think everyone in the conference is kind of looking at USC, looking ahead a little bit. Um, tell me what you think of this game. And the coordinators came back and said, first and foremost, one of the – uh, one of them said that Chance Nolan was much improved um, and also said that USC's defense struggled with gap integrity and felt like it was gimmicky last week in the win over Fresno State. I thought that was interesting because if you don't have gap integrity against a team that can run the ball well, you can get in trouble. And I've, I, I do think USC's defense is average at best, but it might not be even average. It may be well below average, and what we're seeing from USC and Lincoln Riley is just, hey, let's go out and score 40 points, and you know nobody will be able to stay with us. I also had another D coordinator tell me without question that Oregon State's defense is better than USC's defense. So I put that away. I filed away the gap integrity, the gimmicky. I'm looking at Chance Nolan. I, I'm still going to pick USC. I think it's going to be close, but I think like the reason I'm picking USC is mainly because that's where I landed on Thursday when I make my picks, and I don't want to be that guy who's flip-flopping late in the week, but I'm looking at this game, and I'm going, I would be delighted to be wrong about this game. Do, do you guys have any kind of misgivings about maybe where this game is headed? Has anything changed for you in the last 24 to 48 hours? I think for me, I'm really starting to think this is going to be a real shootout. And I thought it was going to be a shootout going in. You know, the total is really high, highest in the Pac-12, 70 and a half or so. But it seems like Oregon State, and we've talked about this, John, that USC defense, they've been getting turnovers, but are they that good, right? They've been giving up a lot of yards uh, against Stanford. They caused a couple turnovers right inside the five. Is Oregon State going to do that? I don't think so. I think Oregon State will capitalize and score some points against USC. And then, of course, USC is going to score against anybody. I don't have any doubts about that. So I think oh, it's going to be a really high-scoring game. I'm with you. I still think USC wins. I think USC probably covers this game as well. But you know, I'm starting to lean a little bit more towards Oregon State as we go forward. But I still think USC gets the gets the dub. Yeah, I I really think it's like I think we said I said seventy thirty the other day in favor of USC. I might go sixty five thirty five something like that. Something that gives me um, I think some optimism for Oregon State. It's just you know Jonathan Smith has gone against Alex Grinch before USC's defensive coordinator. Alex Grinch was talking about it earlier this week, and he said, "Yeah, I wasn't able to stop those Washington Husky offenses led by Jonathan Smith." So you know I I think you know it, it doesn't seem like USC's played a great offense so far, especially considering Jake Hayner got hurt in the middle of that in the second quarter, I believe. Uh, he hurt his leg against uh, USC. So, I, you know, I think Oregon State's got that going from them. I think they're going to be able to score a lot of points, run for run and pass for a lot of yards in this game. It's just about getting a couple of stop, stops if you're Oregon State, being able to stop them once or twice at least, and also getting off to a good start, not letting USC get some momentum earlier. John, do you think I, this is yeah. the biggest game in the Jonathan Smith era? Yes. It's not close. I mean, you know, I guess you could bring up the Civil War a couple of years ago, or you could say the game that he needed to get to six wins. But this is USC, and it's USC at home. Uh, you know, they they beat USC at the Coliseum last year, but this would be a bigger win. Like that was historic because they had not gone to the Coliseum in the modern era 
and one. This would be big because it's a win over a top 10 opponent at home. It would make you 4-0. and And I frankly think if Oregon State wins this game, they would catapult in the rankings to somewhere in the teens. Like they're going to, I think they're going to, they'll skip the twenties. They'll end up in the teens and then it will be, Hey, can they go to Utah in a week and win? And they, you know, if they do that, uh, suddenly they're in the driver's seat to get to Vegas. So this next two weeks for Jonathan Smith, they're huge. This is what he talked about on media day. You guys heard him. He said, you know, we feel like we have a chance in all 12 games. We want to get to Vegas. Like nobody else said that. No other coach. I sat down with all 12 coaches. Nobody else said, I want to get to Vegas. Nobody said that. Jonathan Smith did. Here's your put-up-or-shut-up opportunity. I, I know school is back in Corvallis or just about. Um, yeah, they're back in. They started on Monday. It, it, with this new uh, renovation, just so I can get a gauge of what the atmosphere is going to be like, is it is it still full student section allotment, or did some students lose tickets? They got the full student section. They also have set up for people who can't get into the game or maybe some students who didn't register for their tickets in time. They have set up giant video boards over by Gill Coliseum. So they're going to hold like a party right outside the stadium as a viewing party. So... I think it'll be really interesting. I think it's going to be an electric atmosphere, 27,000. Uh, it, 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 it's going to be that entire side of the Oregon State uh, stands will be filled and shouting across. I, I have not been there for a game, a regular season game, since they did the renovation. I'm really curious to see what that atmosphere is like, but I think it's going to be rocking. And I think that this comes down – for me, this game comes down to – you know, can Oregon State's wide receivers, who against Fresno State, they made third and long field dire during that game. Until that final possession when they had to move the ball, Oregon State had a hard time on third and long. It didn't feel like they had a chance. And and that can't be how we feel at halftime or in the third quarter of this game. We have to see Oregon State moving the ball. We need to see those receivers schemed open. I like to see Anthony Gould and Trayshawn Harrison not drop the ball. We've seen too many drops. But if they can do that, if the Oregon State's receivers can get separation and get involved, I think the Beavers will run the ball on, Oregon, or on USC a little bit. And, in, and I think they're in this game. But if they can't, I think they run the risk that USC boat races them. And, and you know, I'd hate to see that at this point of the season. It's always so important to get out to a good start, but I really think that I, want, I just really want to see – USC down by seven or ten points and have to react with their backs against the wall because that hasn't happened and this is their first real I mean first real true road game I mean they played at Stanford but there is more USC fans than Stanford fans there so let's be honest this is the biggest road game they've had of the season if Oregon State gets up on them early those fans are going to be into it how does Lincoln Riley Caleb Williams react to that situation with all the transfers coming in I think it's really important that Oregon State gets off to a good start in this one other things I learned this week. On yesterday's show, we had Bo Nix, the Oregon starting quarterback. I talked with him, and he said that he, he already has his degree in communications from Auburn. He got it in three years. But he said that he's taken some random classes to stay eligible. We also had Jaden Grant on, who is a seventh-year senior. He said he's taken the minimum nine credits to stay eligible, and he shared with us that the only in-person class that he has this term is yoga. I, I, I left the show yesterday thinking about that. What a good life Jaden Grant is living, that he's got a yoga class, and that's, that's his hardest class. And then you got Bo Nix who's going, I would like to have yoga. Like, I thought that was a really interesting conversation. Uh, Caesars Sportsbook is saying it has more money wagered on Oregon State to cover 
the current six-and-a-half-point spread versus USC than any other college or NFL game this week. They reported more than 88% of the money wagered on the game was on the Beavers. That includes, as I mentioned earlier, a $110,000 straight bet on Oregon State plus seven before the spread, before the line moved. 110 grand on Oregon State plus seven. Uh, I think that's interesting. Uh, it, and I, you know, what else did I learn this week? Well, Thursday night football. We had our second round of Thursday night football on Amazon last night. I didn't have any problems. I don't know if you had problems, but a lot of the noise that I saw on social media from the Steelers Browns game were from people who were trying to experiment with how long it took to flip over from an NFL game to another sporting event and then get back to an NFL game. That seems to be what everybody, you know, at least on my timeline, was trying to figure out last night. And one viewer who tested it took 31 seconds to flip back and forth between an Amazon broadcast and an MLB game. That's way too long. But here's how I, got a, I worked around that. I, I just changed the source on the TV for Amazon and the app to be on one source, and then my the rest of my TV programming on like Hulu on another source, so that I could just change the source and flip back and forth. So it was just a matter of it being like two seconds. So I don't know if that helps you, but I think it's really interesting that that's what people are focused on because people are trying to wrap their heads around the idea that Amazon or Apple could be like a primary provider. Like, does it work for you on a college football Saturday? And I think there are some ways you can you can uh, rig it so that it can work. Coming up, our big splash, Ashley Adamson, Pac-12 Network at 4 o'clock. In the 5 o'clock hour, Brian Howell, who covers Colorado football, he's going to lay it down for us. He talked to the chancellor at Colorado this week. He'll share with us what he learned. Plus, how warm is Carl Durrell's seat? We'll find out in the 5 o'clock hour. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I appreciate that you're out there making this show part of your day. Thank you for tweeting at me. Thank you for calling in. Uh, we got big guests coming up. Ashley Adamson of the Pac-12 Network will be joining us. She's on site in Corvallis. She will be there as the Pac-12 Network is making a big deal about this USC-Oregon State game, and they should. Uh, you all know, and I know, that Fox and ABC and ESPN get first choice of the games. It's evident that they are drafting some other teams not named Utah or USC in the early part of the season because they would love at the end of the year if one or both of those teams is in the playoff hunt to be carrying those games. That's the strategy, and unfortunately, Oregon State's caught in the vortex of television right now, and it's why these games are on the Pac-12 network. But I would also offer that tomorrow's game on the Pac-12 network is a wonderful opportunity for the Pac-12 conference, which is trying to sell its media rights, to show Apple and Amazon and whoever else is interested in the Pac-12 network that you do get 36 football games as part of the Pac-12 network's programming. That's how many games are played on the network every year, 36 games or so, and you get the Olympic sports. So keep that in mind tomorrow as you're watching USC and Oregon State and you're belly aching like I would be. Uh, going, why is this game on the Pac-12 network and not on ABC or ESPN? These are the kinds of games that the Pac-12 with a straight face can look at Amazon, can look at Apple, can look at ESPN Plus and go, hey, if you buy the Pac-12 networks, you're going to get this game. Like, this would have been your game, USC, Oregon State. So there is some negotiation that goes on 
to that respect. That brings us, of course, to our big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, the United States men's national soccer team had a two-zip loss, 2-0 as they say in soccer, to Japan. The Americans struggled. Japan applied pressure throughout the opening 45 minutes. The United States had only five touches in opposition penalty area. Uh, it was a uh, it was a sobering loss. U.S. looked a little better in the second half, but they never really threatened Japan's goal except for maybe a late shot that went wide. And uh, you know they left the game saying we've got work to do. Give Japan credit, but the manner of defeat with the United States failing to really possess the ball uh, was troubling. And it, uh, again, is another reminder that the U.S. women's national team is our real national team. That's the one thing you need to know. You guys tuned in at all to the World Cup, kind of the uh, friendlies that are going on, or maybe the run-up ahead of the World Cup? Uh, not the friendlies or anything. When the World Cup happens, I, I do get into the World Cup, but uh, friendlies, I'm, I'm out of those. You're not, into, you're, not into, you're not enough of a soccer guy? No, no. How about you, Sean? Yeah, not really into the uh, the friendlies. Uh, you know, when the World Cup happens, I'll be into it. I- I'm really excited for that time of the year. You know, November, it's going to be the World Cup, which I'm not a big soccer guy, but the World Cup, I'm always bought in. Uh, and then it's going to be, you know, peak college football season, NFL, NBA will be going on. I'm just, I'm really excited for that, that Thanksgiving time of the year. Yeah, I like that. I also want the United States to be good. I, you know, I want to have a dog in the fight, so to speak. I don't want that World Cup party happening without us. And I'm a little concerned right now with the way that they lost, that they, are, they will be a non-factor come World Cup. And, you know, again, we are we're good at a lot of things. You know, go to the Olympics, we win a lot of things. Our soccer is not there. You know, we look at what we do as, as a country versus others. It's obviously not there. And, you know, why do you think that is? Do you think our best athletes are playing other sports? Do you think other countries are just decades and decades ahead of us? What is it? Yeah, I think uh, other countries are just more um, invested in soccer, right? Like soccer is the most popular sport in other countries where it's not in America. So when you do grow up, you want to play basketball or football instead of soccer, where I do think the best athletes do play soccer in the other um, in other countries. And a lot of times, you know, you look at really good athletes in the NBA, they started out playing soccer, and then it was almost like, well, they got too big, and so then they played basketball. So I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. I think the I think America is starting to invest a little bit more into soccer and their programs to try to get better up, but it just you know it seems like it's going to be a long road to travel. Yeah, I think the the best athletes are playing other sports. Uh, the best American athletes. I think there's a culture where you know if you're you know for the most part this isn't exclusive, but I do think that at least at my school, like I felt like a lot of the best athletes were playing football and basketball and baseball, and it's just not as mainstream here. And uh, the MLS is, isn't as big, and, you know, it's just it's so big over in Spain and in England, and it's just, you know, I think it's our th- maybe our fourth most popular sport here in the country. Yeah, it, it's kind of the knock on boxing and the heavyweight division in boxing is, you know, we used to have fantastic heavyweight boxers, and now – you go to Eastern Europe to find those heavyweights because um, our best, biggest athletes are playing other sports. And they're playing sports that there's more money in and there's more access to uh, as kids. But um, it, it's 
it's really interesting to kind of study what happens in sports in our country versus others. But there are countries like China, and I spent a little bit of time over there during the Olympics and and got to uh, talk to a lot of people. Like in China, they have academies that identify the best young athletes. They often will take them from their families and have them live kind of boarding school style at these academies. And they are training them in fencing and they are training them in basketball and you know, they, they like to get their hooks into the kids because they want to dominate the world. And they have their Olympic training programs. We do that in some sports, and we do a good job of it. And in other sports, we just don't. And so I kind of wonder if we need to reboot the entire sort of soccer scene in our country. And maybe MLS has helped in this way. I would think it, I think it would have to with some of the uh, teams that feed into Major League Soccer and some of the youth teams and youth programs. But... Uh, the U.S. men's national team barely possessing the ball in a 2-0 loss to Japan um, in a World Cup friendly, like you know, run up to the World Cup. Uh, not a good, uh, not a good uh, showing by the United States today. Yeah, and, and, and you know, with soccer, with, with all sports in America, we want to be the best at it, right? And I think that's why, like women's soccer, the women's national team is more popular probably than the men's yeah. national team because they're really good, right? And so we really grasp onto them and we cheer for them where it's going to be tough to get soccer to that next level in the men's side until they become really good, and it just seems like it's going to be such a problem. There you go. Uh, other news going on in the NFL, uh, Tom Brady listed, listed on the injury report for the Buccaneers today when it came out, but he will play. Uh, 49er tight end George Kittle, you got him on your fantasy league team. He will make his season debut. This weekend, uh, he is off the injury report, um, and the Niners will have him in uh, the lineup on Sunday night against the Broncos. Kyle Shanahan confirmed that today, so Kittle made it through practice, made it through the week. He looks like he'll make his debut, so a lot to do there. Meanwhile, Sammy Watkins out for week three for the Green Bay Packers at wide receiver. Coming up, Ashley Adamson of the Pac-12 Network will be joining us. We'll talk about Oregon State and USC. She's on that game along with Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Network. We'll talk to Ashley uh, right here top of the hour about what she thinks. She talked to Lincoln Riley today. She talked to Jonathan Smith today. Where's her, where's her mind as she leaves those conversations? Find out next. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, I think Racer Stadium's going to be rocking uh, tomorrow night. Big game. I don't know if this game's flying under the radar, but Oregon State probably flying under the radar a little bit, at least in the eyes of the AP voters. Ashley Adamson of the Pac-12 Network. You know her work. She's been on this show before. She's a fantastic storyteller and journalist. She's in Corvallis. She will be here for the Oregon State-USC game tomorrow. She's part of that broadcast on the Pac-12 Network's 6.30 kickoff. Ashley Adamson joining us. Give us some flavor. You've been around the, uh, been around the town. You're, you're around this game. What's going on? Yeah. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. It's good to chat with you. Um, I will say first and foremost, and one of the best parts about working for the Pac-12 is you get to go to these unbelievable campuses every weekend during football season. But 
I can't put my finger on why it is, but I think I said this to Yogi Roth today. I think Corvallis might be my favorite spot to come. And I know that isn't, I don't know how many people would actually say that of all the 12 campuses we get to go to, but Corvallis is definitely up there. Um, it's awesome. The weather is gorgeous. It's warm, but feels like a little fallish. And we just got done with the meetings, um, you know, with Jonathan Smith and the two coordinators. And I, I just think this is going to be an awesome game. There's a million different storylines and all the rest, but I think Oregon State is not scared. I think they, as you mentioned, are being overlooked a little bit, um, and I think it's—I think it's going to be a great battle. So we feel lucky to be here this weekend. There's no doubt about it. On Pac-12 Media Day, Jonathan Smith said, "I want to win all 12 games, and I want to get to Vegas." Like that was new talk coming from Oregon State. I haven't heard that in a long time. Um, what did he say today? Where was his mindset? You said they're not afraid. Yeah, we asked him. I said, "What's your message to the team this week?" And and he said, "The biggest thing is that we just talked about handling adversity." And it's not just about getting down in a game and how do you handle the adversity of what comes up in a game, but he said it's like the distraction, the hype, all of the interest in this game leading into kickoff. School started on Wednesday, so obviously there's a bunch of distractions for them away from football. Um, And so far this season, you know, he's like, we haven't really been down or turned it over or, you know, we played one road game where half the stadium was for us. So this week is is about handling adversity because it's going to hit. And he said, you know, his message to the guys, he said, we've just tried to simplify it. We've tried to just make it about two things, which is have your eyes right and over-communicate. That is, those are the things that they sort of drilled into their guys this week. And, you know, I think they feel pretty confident with the game plan. They know what USC brings, right? I mean, the Trojans have punted five times total in, in three games. So um, when they get going, they're hard to stop. But I think uh, – I think they've got a good plan, and, and Trent Bray is, has been excellent, and I think it's going to be fun to see how this defense, and especially the Oregon State secondary, how they match up with those wideouts. Yeah, they got Jaden Grant back there, seven-year senior who's taken a yoga class. That's his hardest class. He told Great interview, yesterday. by the way, that you had with him the other day. <laughs> yeah. Great interview. Uh, um, he, uh, you know, he and these guys, this is, you know, I want to say this is a game that, like maybe kind of the pinnacle so far of their careers. Like, you know, they've been through some times where there's been coaching changes and there were games where no one showed up or no one cared hardly about, you know, their game. And here they are under the spotlight. Like, I think it's a big moment for them. Do you think they're ready for it? Yeah, I do. And, you know, part of it, and of course this is an entirely new USC team than the one that they beat at the Coliseum last year. But I think that moment last year um, – was was a really big deal for this team, even mentally, to be able to, to go somewhere that, you know, you haven't won in six years and be able to just physically manhandle USC like they did last season. Now, again, this is a totally different team, totally different deal, and they know that. But, um, yeah, this is a big deal. And and to be honest, I, I just, yeah, I get the sense from, from talking with them and, you know, Chance Nolan did an interview with Yogi Roth and Ted Robinson on their podcast earlier this week. That it's good if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. But there's just this sort of quiet confidence about them, and I think if they can, you know, get out of the first quarter and not let USC really get rolling, and be able to eat some clock and run the ball and and just dictate at least you know early on in the game, um, I think they'll be I think they'll be in good shape, and it would not surprise me at all if USC wins this game. I guess that's the, probably the easiest way to, to say it. Ashley Adamson, Pac-12 Network, is with us. Oregon, uh, USC has looked very good on the offensive side of the ball in particular. 
you've watched them more than we all have. You've talked with them. What do you think is happening and going right for them in, in the early part of this season? Well, I think they have some pretty dynamic playmakers. You know, Caleb Williams is, is the real deal, and they've got um, just so many unbelievable guys with speed and guys who do different things and all, all these different options. I think the one thing, this is something that Lincoln Riley said that was interesting when we were talking to him this week. He, he was saying, you know, we were asking about, like, how close the team is because it, it was almost like free, we're in the world of free agency where you've got so many different guys coming in from all different Spaces and you know all, all trying to get to know each other really quickly and how has the locker room been so close and it feels like there's a cohesion and he just basically said well you credit the players like the energy and excitement and the closest has all been there but when I really think it comes down to is that it's not like MLB free agency that everybody you know you're getting traded here or there everybody had a choice to be here so you were either a player here who could have left um or you were somewhere else and you decided to leave there and come. So it, they didn't bring anybody in that this was their only option, and that goes for players and coaches as well. So he said that, that that's our one bond. Like despite some of the fact that despite the fact that we had some limited experience together, we all made the same choice when we had choices, and that was to be here. So I think there's more cohesion than I think a lot of people expected, given how many new faces and dynamics there are in that in that locker room. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that especially on the offensive side of the ball. They just have some dudes who can make plays, and the offensive line has stepped up. Um, they've been happy with, with how much tougher they've been up front, like the physicality and toughness is something that they preach at the line of scrimmage, and, and that has started to show up too. All right, I'm going to put you in a tough spot here, Ashley. Um, is it better for the Pac-12 if USC wins this game and stays in the playoff hunt, knowing that between you and I, they're leaving in a couple years, or is it better that Oregon State emerges and probably, if they win this game, you, we, you know, the Pac-12 probably has two teams ranked in the teens all of a sudden. You know, I could see Oregon State at, you know, 15 or 18 if they win this game. What, what's best for the mm-hmm. conference here? Yeah, you know, I think there's, you can look at it both ways that you just pointed out. I, the reality is, um, and, and George Kwiatkoff has said as much and he's told us explicitly, USC and, and UCLA for the next two years, they are Pac-12 teams, and we are we want their success, and they are as part of this conference as much as they ever have been in the last hundred years. So, I think I, I get it. What you, I get the point that yeah. you're trying to make here, but I think the bigger picture is that, yeah, I mean USC, we're going to find out. I think that's the reality of what, what's going to happen. I mean, I don't know if I can say it's, it's better one way or the other. Um, Oregon State, both either team will be undefeated. They'll be 4-0, whoever wins this game. And I think it's going to be a huge measuring stick for the Trojans. And this will be, you know, they've had some tests, but they haven't played, they certainly haven't played a secondary like Oregon State has, and I don't think they played a team that has the firepower that Oregon State does and some of the playmakers and athleticism that they have. So we'll find out a little bit more about both of these squads. But I think either way you cut it, it's going to be a great win for either team. Um, I'm just really annoyed that Oregon State isn't ranked, and Washington yeah. State too. I mean, it, it, Michael Molinari, our producer, I was, he was going over the sheet with all of the graphics for tomorrow, and I was laughing because he has, you know, the matchups, and it's number seven USC versus should be ranked Oregon State. Like, that's what he's <laughs> going to have it in the graphic, and I'm like, I like that. So, yeah, because it should be a top – we should have two top 25 Pac-12 matchups this weekend. Uh, I love we don't. that. Yeah, so. and you're right. why do you think that is? I have a theory on it, but I want to I want to know why you think. Why do you yeah. think Washington State, Oregon State? Why don't they get the respect right now? 
Washington State is the one that really, like, Oregon, I think both should be ranked, but Washington State's the one that really bothers me even more. Um, They're the, Greg Mraz, our researcher, sent me this the other day. They are, in 20 seasons, there has only been one other Power 5 team that has started 3-0 that has had a road win over a top-20 team that they weren't ranked, and that was in 2002 Kentucky. So, like, if you've done what Washington State has done, you are ranked. So I, I can't, other than people not watching, what's your theory? Because I don't, I don't, other than that, I don't actually know. Yeah, I started reaching out to people who vote in the poll after that first couple weeks when Oregon State and Washington State weren't getting votes. And what I found was there was definitely um, a little bit of bias going on with, A, I don't think a lot of the voters in the eastern part of the country were even watching Oregon State for that, for sure. But, but Washington mm-hmm. State's win came in broad daylight, you know, against Wisconsin. Like, everybody saw that, and, and they st- it still didn't register. And the only thing that I kept coming back to is, you know, I had one of the analytics uh, geek and friends of mine, and he would be, he'd be okay with that description. Um, he said, <laughs> he said that he started measuring, you know, it, it isn't just Oregon State. It isn't just Washington State. It was anybody west of the Rockies, even if you got a win over Boise State or Fresno State, it wasn't equating in as much impact in the polls as wins over marginal teams that were east of the Rockies. And so there's mm. just I think there's just a bias in general that good football isn't played in the Pacific time zone. Yep. No, I think uh, we've sort of, you know, it's interesting that the analytics back that up because that's what the feeling is. And, and it's hard John, you know this. Like, I mean, we I, I cover the Pac-12, and so I have blinders on in in some ways. Like, I am locked in, and I spend the majority of my time watching and thinking and studying and reading about Pac-12 teams. So, for all the same reasons that there's probably East Coast bias, like I, I am incredibly biased towards the Pac-12 and, and the football that I get to watch every weekend. So, I always wonder, like, is it just me that, like, am, am I the one that's out here going, why aren't these teams? Why aren't people paying attention to these teams? Is it that I'm biased? But I think the reality is. Um, people are only watching so much, and the fact that the numbers bear that out and back that up, like that's like the least surprising thing of all time. Ashley Adamson, Pac-12 Networks, is with us. You're a good storyteller. You're a great storyteller. Your stuff on Utah last year was fantastic, last couple years, in fact. Uh, what are you working on now, or what do you have that's just out that people uh, maybe can look forward to or can check out? You know, that, and I was only very peripherally involved with this, Story, but it's the best one we've done in a long time, so I'll shout it out. But Yogi Roth um, did a story with Alex Forsyth that is out on our YouTube channels and pack-12.com. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, well, maybe your listeners aren't familiar with Alex Forsyth's story, the Oregon offensive lineman. His dad was killed in a mass shooting in a mall um, in 2012, I believe. And Alex had done a couple of interviews on it and I think he's done a little bit but he hadn't really sat down and, and so Yogi went to their house and sat down with Alex with Alex's sister who had never talked publicly about it and Alex's mom and I just I won't tell you the whole thing but it is worth 10 minutes of your time I highly encourage anybody who's listening and whether or not you're an Oregon fan or not to go watch that piece um, it, it's a he's an easy kid to cheer for beforehand and, and you watch that and you just think about what they've been through and I think the you know moving forward, we've got a lot of good stuff in in the hopper, and I think we're gonna have some more features coming out soon. I did I just am working on one right now, 
the running back coach at Cal, his son has um, severe epilepsy. I mean, hundreds of seizures a day for the last six years. And they're trying to change the stigma around epilepsy. So we went and spent, you know, a day or two with them um, in August, and it was so powerful. And he's, you know, the son's gotten really close with the team. So there's, there's all of these stories. You, I wish we could tell more, to be honest with you. Like, there are so many. We have a list of ones that um, we are hoping to be able to tell and, and ones that we're working on right now. But that's the best part of this job. Like, going to the games are amazing. But getting to know these players and these stories and these coaches um, and these families, truthfully, in, in a tight way is, is the best part of this job. There's no question about it. Let me ask you, Utah, after the week one loss, I kind of wondered how they'd respond. What have you seen out of that team uh, as it rebounded? Yeah, I think um, we were there in week two, and obviously they weren't, you know, it wasn't uh, Florida that they were playing, but I think that when you look at what happened in that game, I was a little bit worried about, okay, Cam Rising, he's never, you know, he was so good last year once he came and took in as, as a starter and, and hadn't really made any critical, critical errors that had led to a loss like that. And essentially, in talking to the staff and, and kind of being around the team, it was one of those things that they shook it off really quickly. It was like, okay, we are going to learn from this. There are plenty of things to learn from, but that locker room is so tight and so close, and they've got a lot of veteran guys. And they realized, you know, defensively just what was going on. We talked to Morgan Scally, and he said we were just – it was like things were compounding. Like we were missing our run fits were horrible. And so we were missing all of these tackles, and all of a sudden the linebackers, we've got all these young guys, and they're trying to do more. And all of a sudden it just spiraled, and things got kind of out of control. And he said, but you make one or two plays, and red zone, you know, obviously – crushed them but you make one or two plays and it's a totally different outcome so they shook that off I think pretty pretty easily um and I I love what I see from Utah I think it um they're the defending Pac-12 champs and it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they got back to Vegas I will say though I, I'm excited about Washington uh what they're doing so far and and Michael Penix leading that offense it's been really cool to see and yeah. they don't have to play USC or Utah in the regular season. So they've, you know, nobody's got an easy path to Vegas, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Washington ends up there and we'll see we'll see who else is, is there. All right, before I cut you loose, Washington State hosting Oregon. I'm having trouble with this game. I like both these teams. I love Washington State's defense. Yeah. I like Oregon. What they what they showed a week ago is hard to ignore against BYU. Uh, what are you expecting in Pullman tomorrow? I think it's going to be fun. I think – I think you're right. I think of all of the ones, this one to me is I could see easily going either way more than anything else. It, we clearly wrote off Oregon. People, I think, outside the Pac-12 wrote off Oregon pretty quickly after that Georgia game. Um, and it's clear that Georgia is on another planet than everybody else. But they've scored, what, 110 points combined in the last two games. Um, and Washington State, their offense hasn't been, you know, in terms of scoring. Like, they haven't lit the world on fire. But – defensively um, they've been able to keep the offense in it and they just, they've been able to figure out different ways to win. So I like Cam Ward. I think every single game that he gets under his belt on this level is he's just going to improve and improve and improve. And I think, I don't know. I mean, Ducks have what won the last three in this series. And this is, this is one of those, this is one of those games because it is in Pullman one o'clock kick. It just, 
it's going to be you can tell it's going to be a weird game i just you, you get that yeah. feeling so yep um i don't know eggs breakfast and go whoop ass is that the new <laughs> yes something like that planning? put it on a t-shirt like, trademark it before yeah, Oregon I think does. They did. They already did. <laughs> yeah I love it. All right, I'm going to see you at the stadium. Where will you be? Where, if people are going to be in the stadium, will they see you down on the field? You guys normally have a little yeah. setup. Where are you set up? Yep, we will be on the field, and we will actually be on the um, the USC part of the sideline, like in the end zone towards the USC sideline, so not yeah. on the side where the fans are going to be. Um, that's what's going to be. I mean, I haven't obviously been to a game of research since the construction's going on, but I, I think it's going to yeah. be interesting to see uh what it's like to see a half-filled research because i think it's going to feel the juice is going to feel just as big as if it was packed i'm, I'm guessing yeah um, but yeah we will be down on the field and we're going to be there starting at like 10 a.m tomorrow so okay um we're doing we've got a triple header and our pregame show starts at 10 10 30. oh wow you got a long day so hey. I, yeah please come yeah it's gonna be a long day we're gonna you know nick aliotti we're gonna try and take it easy i told him i'm like it's a, it's a marathon it's not a sprint you gotta build up <laughs> Right. Make sure you hydrate. Did you happen? Now you're on campus. Yes. Did you happen to see Jaden Grant's pop-up uh, t-shirt sweatshirt sale going on over there near no, the stadium? No, I haven't. I haven't. But I I need to go check that out. I yeah. uh, I did. I loved your I loved your interview with him this week. He's uh, he's great. He's he is living the life, as you said. He is I'm gonna have to go check that out. I'll go find that. All right. I tried uh, to order. By the way, I tried to order a Jack Coletto hat. Yeah. His website so that I'd have it for this weekend. And, like, everything is on back order because apparently after the Fresno State game, like, they sold out of everything times 100. So Supply chain, Ashley. Supply chain. Supply chain issue. That's what I said. Supply chain issue. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you. you. I will see you there. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Good. Thanks, John. All right. There she is, Ashley Adams in Pac-12 Network. Follow her on Twitter. She's a great follow. She's a good, really good storyteller. And you'll see her on the Pac-12 Networks if you tune into the game. You got the BFT. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's here. How you doing, Anna? Hi. Did you uh, hear the latest on Ibi Adoka? I think so. Yeah? Yeah. So Boston Celtics, for those of you tuning in, have suspended Adoka for a year. And Matt Barnes, who had come to his defense publicly, deleted his Instagram post defending Adoka and has since come out and said it's 100 times aggregator than any of us thought. Uh, you walked into the studio here just a minute ago and you were like, the drip, drip, drip. Finish that thought. That is the worst. Like when it comes to crisis communications and the management of a situation like this the way that this story is slowly dripping out over a matter of days with not very many details and then insinuations like in the face of an information vacuum people will you know writers media whatever people in general Human the general public is going to think the absolute worst and so like whether it's Ime Udoka or the Celtics organization, whoever it is, needs to just come forward. Like, if you're ever faced with a situation like this, I mean, the rule, really, is come out as quickly as you can, as swiftly as you can, with as much forthcoming authenticity and information as you can. And I understand that there may be limits on what can be said because of whoever may be involved, but 
it's really just kind of a nightmare situation for the Celtics, for Ime Yudoka, for everyone involved. Yeah, it, it's there's a lot of questions that I have here too. Is like you know they say that they went to an independent investigation for with an outside firm. Okay, so that suggests to me that they were heavily concerned about litigation. So they go to an outside firm that uncovered multiple violations of team policies. They're, they won't say what Udoka has to do in order to return. They're saying his suspension ends at the end of this regular season, and they said we'll discuss at the end of the regular season whether he's done enough to come back. Like, they've just left too much limbo, and we're all filling in. Like, let's play a little game here. Fill in the wildest scenario that you can think of that has popped into your mind legitimately as it pertains to Ime Adoka. Steven, Sean, Anna, myself, listeners at home, let's play this game. The wildest scenario for me, it is, you know, I immediately went to, oh, this was a supervisor-subordinate relationship. Then I went to, no, it has to be worse. Uh, there's something here that's not that we're not being told. Is this the significant other of someone else that is involved in the organization? Is this some management team basketball operations, ownership, team president, spouse that's involved in this. I don't know. It's, but that's what happens when we don't get information. But when you have Matt Barnes saying things like, this is so much worse, like so deep and so bad and so negative, uh, yeah, I mean, something along those lines. And it, it's almost leading me to believe that there may be like criminal investigation that follows because that's usually how this goes like initially you know the organization does the thing yeah internally and then at some point you know somebody files a lawsuit or and or there's like a, a, a criminal look at this to see if the police need to get involved yeah. but like the, this is absolutely the worst a situation like this needs to be resolved as soon as possible with as much information as they can disclose as possible so that you can figure out what the path is forward and move forward from it I, I couldn't help myself but when Matt Barnes became kind of the voice of reason in this um, I I cringed a little bit uh, this is Matt Barnes who jumped a fence at his own house and then got in a fight with Derek Fisher, punching him in the face, or teammate, <laughs> because Derek Fisher was dating Matt Barnes' ex. Oh, okay. So Matt Barnes has now emerged as the voice of reason, <laughs> right? Right? Like, oh, this is way uglier, guys. You know, like, well, I was like, Matt. That, that's know? where I was kind of going. Like, I, <laughs> worst case scenario is Emi Odoka sleeping with a player's wife or a player's significant other. Mm. Like, that can't be good. That's about as worst you can get. See? There you go. Filling in the gaps with... Terrible things. How about you, Sean? You got some terrible things in your head. Share it with us. No, I don't. No terrible things in my head. <laughs> Clean head. Clean uh, head. I, uh, you know, the first thing that popped to my mind was something along the lines of, uh, you know, kind of a power type deal where it's just like, oh, you know, do this with me and you, you can climb the mm. ranks here. You know, maybe Ooh. it's someone that's lower down and, um, you know, he's offering roles, he's offering promotions since he's obviously about as high up as you can get besides the owner being the head coach. Um, and that it was one of those deals, but it sounds like it's a lot worse than that. Yeah, I want to know more. And, and you know what? And it doesn't it doesn't require the Celtics to out the person. And in fact, the Celtics, I think, can uh, at least they talked today and they said, "Hey, uh, we've got very talented female employees who have been scrutinized." Well, good because that's what everybody else was thinking too. 
that you've left your employees kind of dangling. And oh, by the way, the Celtics knew about this in July. Like, they, like has Ime Adoka been going to work at the practice facility since July? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently you know? it was a two-month-long investigation. That's what the owner said today. So yeah. since July, they've been investigating this, and it okay. just ended. And, and has he been at the practice facility? Like, has he been allowed for the last two months to continue to work? Well, and which, if that's, if that is the case, and let's say Sean's theory is right, because that's where my mind went to, is that, you know, he had some kind of entanglement um, with, you know, somebody who was a subordinate, you know, the problem with these kind of situations, obviously, is that with him being in the position that he is, uh, whether it's consensual or not, like, the company, like, you have to disclose that you're having a relationship with somebody within the company because the company then faces, you know, sexual harassment and all kinds of, like, liability issues if somebody who's in the position that he's in is having any kind of relationship with, you know, somebody who is under him. Now, but Matt Barnes' comments, I want to play this again for people who haven't heard it. Matt Barnes made these comments, and this makes me think that it rises above just being a subordinate, you know, management issue last night uh without knowing all the facts i spoke on Ime Udoka's defense and after finding out the facts after i spoke i erased what i posted because this situation in boston is deep it's messy it's a hundred times uglier than any of us thought and that's why i erased what i said uh some things happened that i can't condone i can't back and it's not my place to tell you what happened. If it ends up coming out, it ends up coming out. But that was the reason why I raced in my post last night because after I posted it, I got a call from someone who had all the details and it's deep. Matt Barnes there. Uh, what, what do you, where do you go? I go to like domestic violence. I go to, you know, other forms of entanglement on the team. Like was this person married to another Celtics staff member. Like, you know, Matt Barnes is making me think these things now. I, you know? Mm-hmm. Not good. None of it's good. Not good. Uh, you know, I I guess the consolation is it's not the Blazers. You know? <laughs> like, really? And look, I held up Ime Doka as, like, this is we, a guy that yeah. franchise should be looking at. And, I you know, know, because he was the hometown kid. And, you know, but uh, I, I need to know more. Isn't it crazy how quickly things can change? Like if we if we zoom out a little bit and think about, you know, it's not great to think about the basketball part of this right now because it's much more serious than that. But, man, just two months ago, the Celtics were leading the finals and, you know, they have these young superstars and they had this this bright, you know, awesome first-year head coach. Like this, the window, it feels like, has closed so quickly for them where now it's it, they don't even have a coach. Yeah. Here's the, here's the question I'm going to pose for the room. Does Ime Adoka coach the Boston Celtics ever again? No. No. You think he's done? No. Steven. He's totally done. Uh, I'm going to go with no. Sean. Oh, Sean's on the phone. Sean's on the phone. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say no as well. I don't think there's any... So then sh- why the delay? Yeah. Like, right. why the one-year suspension? Yeah. Right? And they're telling him one year, and then, the, and then they're saying... They said this today. The owner said that... You know, there's they, the reporters asked him, what does he need to do to be reinstated? And they said, we'll cross that bridge a year from now. No, if you're going to cross that bridge a year from now, I got news for you. 
you're on the you're going to be on a bridge for a year. Do you think he ever coaches in the NBA again? Yes. <laughs> but not for the Celtics. The Sorry, I couldn't answer. <laughs> not he won't be the Celtics head coach again. I don't think he can be a head coach in the NBA. Really? I think he, I think he can be an assistant. I don't think we know enough yet. I don't think we know enough. It, yet. Meanwhile, the Celtics have promoted a uh, individual that has a domestic violence conviction. Choked a woman when he was in college in a bar. Uh, way oh, to go. Was a conviction? Way to, yeah, he pled guilty. Uh, way to go. Way to go, Boston. Uh, D's in Portland. D, what do you got? Hey, John. Hi. How's it going? Hey, Anna. Hi. How's it going? Um, with the whole, like, Robert Tarwa, the Suns' ownership, um, and the Celtics coach, it made me, like, wonder last night. The Blazers and that, their ownership, they sort of had this, not the same thing, but kind of had in kind of mucky waters as yep. well. Yeah. I'm surprised more hasn't came up with that in the media and, like, them trying to say, hey, you know, you're not fit to own this team with all the sorts of crud that they do. Yeah. Why is that, John? Yeah. I Look, I think part of it is, you know, I think he's alluding to Jody Allen, who's got some, she has been sued uh, uh, more than once by members of the, bodyguard staff that were supposed to be guarding her. They, they accused her of harassment. Uh, I believe there were several lawsuits on that front. Um, I think part of it is that uh, Jody Allen's a woman, and she is owning this team only as the trustee. So it got handed to her, and I think out of respect for Paul, when she became the trustee, it wasn't immediately raising red flags. If this were, if Jody Allen were Paul's brother, and he had been sued for sexual harassment numerous times, and then the organization subsequently had uh, a toxic work environment and a general manager who was running, running around like he was the leader of North Korea, like yelling at people, uh, I think that, that it would have been a bigger story. And, but I think the longer she holds the team, the more risk that she does run that some of that stuff bubbles up and resurfaces. i got to be honest with you. I get emails. I get emails from people all the time who go, hey, why does Jody get a free pass? Why is it, why is her past not coming up more often, especially around the time when the Blazers were investigating that that hostile work environment? And because she ha- she was sued for you know for creating a, a toxic and hostile work environment herself, and she does not have a good reputation as as a person and as a leader and as a manager. She has you know her reputation's not great. So I think that the longer she owns the team, the bigger risk she runs that some of that stuff is going to come up. So if you're Adam Silver. You're watching Robert Sarver in Phoenix. You're watching this Boston Celtics thing. Like, you want to get these franchises in the hands of people who are going to run them right and not embarrass you. And I think the sooner that this can all happen in Portland and in Phoenix, the happier Adam Silver will be. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I got accused of a sin this week. I was talking to my brother on the phone, and uh, I happened to be uh, I happened to be uh, going through the drive-through at Burgerville. Okay, I'm not proud about it. There's worse drive-throughs you can go through, but I was uh, I was on an outing, and I went, oh, I could use one of those tasty burgers. Well, I got French fries, which I normally don't get. You know me, Anna. I'm yeah, not, I'm not, not a, a fry guy. I'm not a fry guy. I'm just not. And I told my brother, uh, I said, he said, what are you eating? And I said, I got a burger. And he said, you get fries? And I said, yeah, I got fries. And uh, he said, you get ketchup. 
<laughs> I got no ketchup. And then I got to thinking about it. I said to somebody else, I said, you know, my brother asked me if I got fries and I got ketchup. And they said, you don't eat ketchup with your fries? I don't. I'm not a sauce guy either. Mm-mm. I don't even, if I got nuggets or something somewhere, I wouldn't get a sauce with them. Mm-hmm. I just eat them all natural. Dry. Dry. Dry guy. I'm a dry guy. That's a sin. Is it a sin? Yeah. Dry guy, not a fry French guy. fries with nothing? Yeah. I'm going to push back on you, Sean. I'm on John's corner here. And that may be a hot take, but I'm with John. I like fries without sauce, and I like chicken nuggets without sauce. I don't like ketchup in general. It better be salty. <laughs> I don't like, especially don't That's like when Sean draws the line. Like Sean's like, they, you need some, I mean, French fries naturally aren't the most flavorful. You need some kind of sauce with them. But I'm, I'm not a, a I'm good not a fry, fry person yeah. anyway. A good yeah. fry is, is delicious just by itself. I mean, I'll take a sauce, but not, definitely not ketchup. I'm just not a ketchup guy in general. I'm not a sauce person. Like, I wouldn't even, like, and part of it is I don't want the mess of the sauces. Like, when I see those Carl Jr.'s commercials and the burgers dripping with the sauces, Mm -hmm. I'm like, nope, not doing it. That's almost as unappetizing as when Quiznos had that little rat that was their mascot. Remember that thing? That was Quiznos? Yeah, Quiznos had, yeah. Because remember Taco Bell had the Chihuahua? Yes. Okay, they did the Chihuahua thing, Mm -hmm. and then Quiznos thought, oh, that's a good idea. Does anybody else remember this? And they got this thing that looked like it was a hamster that had been crossbred with a rat. <laughs> and, and it looked like it had been run over. <laughs> oh, just Google it. Google Quiznos <laughs> rat and you'll see what pops up. It was their mascot. And I thought, that's horrible. I don't... Does anyone want to think about a rat while they're eating? Yeah, I don't want to associate that with a sandwich. Oh, yeah. See yeah, what I'm talking about? That is here. not an Does attractive. Quiznos still exist? Rodent. I haven't I seen like one in a while. Business, yeah. That could explain it right yeah. there. Well, they had some marketing issues, <laughs> looks like. Huh? Somebody went into a meeting and went, you know, Taco Bell has the Chihuahua. Why don't we get this, you know, thing that looks like a mutant hamster? I think they called it a sponge monkey. Okay. Not yeah. good for business, regardless. <laughs> so there you have it. There is the end. I'm also not a big, uh, I got to say this, I'm not a big ice cream guy. Steven, are you are you also not an ice cream guy? No, I'll take ice cream. I'll take okay. ice cream all day. I'm not an ice cream guy, and I'm not a fry guy. <laughs> I'm certainly not a sauce person. <laughs> so if we're at a stadium, and I'm uh, and I normally wouldn't order nachos unless I was at a stadium. How about that? Yeah, we passed a food truck today. All they serve is different variations of nachos, and I'm so confused by that because I'm like, wait a minute. Like that's not nachos does yeah. not make a meal. I don't. I don't know. I think you're out of your genre. Okay, you're you are Taiwanese, <laughs> Chinese. You eat some things, Anna. Your mom has been over here and made some things, and I'm like, I don't know if this is a food or not. I don't know if this is a meal. This is foreign to me. And I think you're looking down on nachos with that same kind of disrespect. No, I enjoy nachos, just not as a meal. I would never do it as a lunch or a dinner. And rice and noodles, that's a meal? You know, you know what I'm saying? Nachos is a, is our go-to. Like for the party, we'll get like the big tub of nacho cheese, like the cheese sauce, and we'll just yes. heat it up. And you go, you know, cheese and chips, or you know, you get the soft pretzels, like the big giant pretzels, and dip them in there. Basically, uh-huh. dip anything in that nacho cheese sauce. That nacho good. cheese is not bad. I'm not but a sauce guy, or, but yes, it's an hors d'oeuvre, right? Yeah. Like at best. Agreed. I, I agree, with Anna. I also think that any pizza that's not pepperoni pizza is kind of like a bastard. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know what I mean? What? 
It's just a bastardized version of pizza. Adam and I ordered a pepperoni pineapple pizza last night. All right, that's okay. Pineapple, it has pepperoni on cool it. With that. Yeah, I'm cool with that. As long as it has pepperoni on it, it's, I'm fine with it. But if you have like Barbecue pineapple chicken, and the best, what do you? Uh, no, no, you gotta have pepperoni on the pizza. If you have a cheese pizza, it's not. It's not done. That's an incomplete pizza. Is that like the normal pizza? Like, if you go to New York, you get a slice, it's just, like, cheese pizza. No, it's not a pizza. you got to have pepperoni on it. Mm, I don't think so. It, it's incomplete. Oh, they ran out. That's what I think when I see somebody with some cheese pizza. <laughs> do you, when you see someone cut a pizza into squares, do you go into oh, convulsions? This happened the other night. This really <laughs> bothered me. Anna and I went to dinner, okay? We do a little date night, okay? We went to a movie. We're going to get dinner. Anna ordered pasta. We're at this chain restaurant that serves pasta. I'm not going to name it. And the guy comes over. I also got pasta against my better judgment. And because if you grow up Italian, you don't order pasta in a restaurant. I, uh, the guy comes over. He brings the pasta to the table. And then he hands me a fork. And then he puts a spoon next to it. And I'm like, this is not how you eat pasta. You don't use a spoon. Okay? You don't, you're not that person that's twirling with the fork into the spoon, and you're using two implements. That's, that's a foul. And my Italian grandparents would roll over in their graves. <laughs> and so when the guy tried to give me the spoon, I said, no, 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 no. I don't need your spoon. And I subsequently watched Anna in horror as she took the spoon and twirled the pasta using the spoon. Like you couldn't just use the bottom of the plate for your leverage on that twirling. You needed that spoon? What's wrong with using it, a second tool for leverage? It makes it easier. Mm. Not, no. Gr no. <laughs> I grew up eating pasta. I can do it better. I don't even need the plate. <laughs> he was so, you guys, he could barely eat. By the end of the meal, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, staring you at her. really uncomfortable. It was bothering and it me. And finally, he finally broke down and was like, I can't believe you're eating pasta with a spoon. It's just been driving me crazy the whole meal. <laughs> I asked her, I said, what would be the, the equivalent foul with Asian cuisine? She said, ordering rice and pouring soy sauce on it. And I said, there you have it. That would be the equivalent of foul. Because I can twirl, I can twirl that pasta in the dark. Come on, anybody who's grown up with an Italian grandparent, you can twirl the pasta. You don't need a you don't need a you don't need a spoon. The only thing that she could have done that was worse would be people who cut up their spaghetti in a restaurant <laughs> yeah. using a knife. That's foul. Why why is the rice with soy sauce thing? Yeah. <laughs> Back to that. <laughs> Go ahead. It's just kind of, it's like an insult to the rice. I can't really explain it. It's the equivalent, like if you've seen the Joy Luck Club, it's like when you sit down to eat a meal that's been prepared for you by someone who's Chinese or Taiwanese, and you begin yeah. to add spices to it before you've even tasted it. Like if right. you start to add salt or pepper to that meal before you've even taken a bite, guaranteed that person is really insulted. Yeah. And so the soy sauce is just kind of an extension and, of that. And like, you, oh, the rice isn't quite good enough without this already. Right. But I also noticed that you guys, meaning you and your mom, not your culture, <laughs> you, 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 guys, you, people. you guys will cook with soy sauce, yeah. but you don't use it as a condiment, and I grew up using it as a condiment. Right. And right. that's kind of, Sean, what I think they're getting at is – they're they're going they're looking at us and they're going look at you you non-asian idiot who's using soy sauce on your rice we use it to cook that's not or worse yet you put butter on it 
I've seen her kind of cringe. <laughs> yes. Put some butter on the rice. Butter on the rice. Yeah. Oh. It's a foul, isn't it? Oh. So for you, as an Italian, like you cannot stand any other implement, any other tool being used to consume pasta other than a fork. You need a fork. Knife? Not okay. You don't Spoon? need a knife. No. Why would you need a knife? You're twirling. <laughs> well, you got to cut it into two-inch you know, bits so you can eat it easily. Learn how to use a fork, okay? You don't need the spoon. And they give you this oversized serving spoon. You don't need that, okay? Okay. Might as well bring you a straw with your soup, okay? I'll do that next. All right, leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Well, it's a Friday. I want to know what your peeve is, what's been bothering you. We do this every Friday on the show. We're going to go around the room. You can line up as well. What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. What's your peeve? I want to know. Steven, you're going to lead us off. Line up at 417-7575 you know the 503 I, area code. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up, John. Sean came into the studio today, yeah. and first thing he told me was, I got a great peeve for what's oh. your peeve. So I Ooh. really, I don't know what it is. He didn't tell me. He wanted to keep it for the show. So I'm so right. excited to hear it. So Sean, please go. Awesome. Uh, well, my peeve is that me and me and my friend have been trying to meet up every morning to to get a little workout in to start our day. Okay. However, my friend lives all the way in Northeast Portland, and I live in Beaverton, and so we both belong to LA Fitness, and we're trying to make it fair because I hate driving to Northeast Portland at 7 a.m. and you know fighting traffic, getting into Portland Sunset Highway. It's a mess. It's like a 30 minute drive. And there's no L.A. fitnesses in the middle of us where it's fair for both of us. So oftentimes, since I'm the nicer person, I always have to end up going to Northeast Portland like this morning. It's like a 30-minute drive. It's like an hour of driving just to get a workout in, uh, all because we live in uh, very different locations. LA, no L.A. fitnesses in the middle of us. So that's my piece. You need a new workout friend. Like that, I'm, not saying you have, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying you have to end your friendship with this person, but it, working out is hard enough. It's hard enough. There are enough things that are in the way for you, in the way of you getting there. This is just one more thing, Sean. That's in the way. I I would say let you know you need to break up with your workout partner and just say, hey, we could be friends. But I think you find out you find someone who lives near you or already works out at the gym, preferably your age, single female, and you work out at the gym with this individual. Now, can you break up with your workout partner by text, or is that an in-person thing? I think you can do it by text. It's a little awkward then. And then you run into him in the gym and just, all that. No, no, no. You just say, look, it's not you. It's me. I don't <laughs> like driving in the morning. There's enough obstacles here. Um, I'm coming to dread this. It sucks to be the road team, you know? And yeah. I'm often, I have more road games on my schedule than home games. <laughs> It feels like. Yeah. And that, that is one of the recipes for consistently working out is the proximity of your gym to where yeah. you live, right? Yep. Uh, here's the other one. Um, I Look, I think the gym's a great place for you to meet somebody, right? You want, you want to meet somebody who lives 35, 40 minutes away? You want to leave some, meet somebody who lives nearby you? That's right. That's right. 
All right. Here we are, just always working on Sean's personal oh, life, his we, dating life. We got this fixed. Yeah. Uh, oh, I ordered him a costume, too, yesterday. Oh, really? A Halloween costume. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's on the way. It's on the way. He also still doesn't understand why it's so funny that he thrives at Halloween. He doesn't understand why it's funny. <laughs> we were just thrives on it. I don't get it. I, why was that a funny comment? It's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's, I don't know. It's, it's good it's You thrive. Like, I think about what do I thrive on? I thrive on, you know, big moment, big show. You know, this radio, big guest, you know, that's why my juices get going. Well, you know what it takes? Sean needs Halloween. He needs October 31st. The... You know, it's going to be a big day for me. Every <laughs> October 31st. I love it. All right. Well, you got a costume to wear. It's in Can't route wait. to your house. All right. Our peeves coming up, plus the five at five. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Happy hour next. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. This hour, we'll do the 5 at 5. We'll finish up What's Your Peeve. We still haven't shared most of ours. We will also give you What's on Tap for the weekend. TV schedule coming up. Plus, we'll get a guest, uh, a guest visit from Brian Howell of the Boulder Daily Camera. Covers Colorado football. Why do we want to talk about Colorado? Well, they're bad. They're really bad. Are they going to fire Carl Durrell? Also, the chancellor at Colorado had some interesting comments this week. He uh, doubled down, saying that he believes the 10 remaining members in the Pac-12 will stick together. Where have you heard that before? Oh, yeah, you listen to this show. Let's finish up What's Your Peeve, guys, and then we'll get to the 5 at 5. Anna, do you have a peeve? Sean already went. Sean's going to break up with his gym partner. I think he's doing it right now on the phone. Jeez. Um, uh, mine's not that harsh of a criticism. It's more of an amusement. When you're driving and there's somebody who is crossing your path as a pedestrian, either they're in a legitimate crosswalk or maybe they're just in a grocery store mm, parking lot, Yeah. they see you coming, and then they do this weird motion with their arms where they make eye contact with you, and then they over demonstrably move their arms in a way to make it look like they're hustling when in reality their feet aren't moving any faster than they would be if they weren't engaging in all that shoulder motion kind of a fake hustle it's a fake hustle and yeah. i i don't know that it's a peeve per se but i do find it really funny when it happens because i'm like i see that i see that for what it is thanks for the shoulder motion but you're not actually moving any more quickly. You know, in the sports world, Anna, this would be solved by, you know, the game polices itself. So, like, you know, somebody crowds the plate, you give them a brushback pitch. Right. You know, somebody comes in a second base, slides too hard. Next time they get to the to plate, they get a brushback pitch. <laughs> so it feels like in the crosswalk, you know, what you need to do to these fake hustlers is you need to kind of rev the engine yeah, and uh, give them a little scare. Just commit a light hit and run. Yeah, a light hit and a run. A light, a misdemeanor like, level hit and run. In sports, we would solve this, you know, and people go, you know, these are the unwritten rules of driving. But you can't really do it because you get people hurt. Like, don't get me wrong. Don't saunter slowly in front of me if I'm trying to, you know, get past you. Don't do that. Yeah. But the whole, like, fake shoulder hustle kind of thing is... Uh, yeah, let me... I'm moving. I'm, I'm moving. I'm going real yeah, fast going in real this fast, But I'm really not... I'm I'm a pro at that fake hustle with my kids. Like, like, hey, Dad, hurry up and get over here. And I'm like, I have to remove my shoulders. Also, at Costco, you're supposed to run back when people forget items. Great, great fake hustle there as well. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that one. Uh, I'm going to go here, and Stephen, you can go last. But uh, my uh, 
My peeve, it, it has to do with the food trucks. We were there today, and we had some lunch at the food trucks. Um, I, I'm, I've worked in the service industry, okay? I want to preface what I'm going to say by that. So <laughs> anybody who's worked in a restaurant knows you appreciate good customer service. I do as well. Um, I'm willing to tip a little bit in a food transaction, okay, mm-hmm. that I'm getting from a truck. Or if I'm getting coffee, I'm willing to tip a little bit to the barista, mm-hmm. okay? But I don't want to be tipping like I'm getting full service in the restaurant when I'm not getting full service in the restaurant. I find it a little bit aggressive that all these places that we all go into, they pivot that point of sale thing around and they stare at you. And the three options I have today were 18%, 20%, or 25% or other. And I, I'm sitting there, eyes on me, pressure on me. This, this food truck's going to make the food. They're already overcharging you because they're a food truck, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> and I'm also okay with, like, hey, I'll tip you a little bit for your trouble. But nobody, they're not busting the table. They're not bringing me the food. They're not filling my water glass. They're not, like, I, why am I paying for this like I'm in a five-star restaurant? That's a peeve. I always tip because I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I don't tip that they're going to spit in my food. <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> because the way the transaction is happening, yeah. you're paying before the food is prepared and yeah. brought out to you. Let's see it's what... not like an actual restaurant where yeah. you're tipping after to thank somebody for their good service. So I yeah. tip out of fear. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good for you. So you're paying not to get saliva in uh-huh. your food. Yeah, there yeah you go. totally. So I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. And the other day, Anna and I were at an establishment. We ordered food. The guy who was taking our order was grumpy. Yeah. He was really grumpy. But he's always grumpy. He was especially grumpy. <laughs> and I kind of side-eyed Anna. Kind of looked at her <laughs> as he <laughs> as he pivoted the point of sale thing towards me. <laughs> what do I do here? Offering me whether I want to tip him 25% for his for his scowl <laughs> and she you said you looked at me and yeah. you went you shook your head no. Yeah, and so I didn't tip him. Yeah, I didn't feel right about that either. I want to give him a couple bucks. Cause I figured I, he was spitting on our food anyway. Yeah, okay. I want to give him a couple bucks, but I don't want to give him 20 or 25% for what he's doing. No offense, okay? No offense. Am I wrong, Sean, Stephen? Am no, I wrong? It's one of my all-time biggest peeves, this, this whole tipping thing with the iPad. They spin it around. A couple weeks ago, real quick, I was at a concert. I bought a $6.50 bottle of water, and then the person who sold me the water and basically just took it out of the cooler, uh, she put in the tip for me. She, like, put in. It was, like, $8 all of a sudden, and I had to, myself, press no tip. Oh. So she did it for me. That's wow. even more aggressive. Took the tip right out of your mm. pocket. By you know what? No tip. I, I talked yesterday about there's no pickpockets anymore. There apparently there are. There's tip. There's tip <laughs> pockets. Tip pocket. What do you got, Stephen? What's uh, your beef? So my beef is with uh, group text messages. So I'm in this group <laughs> message with some of my friends who were going to the beach here the upcoming weekend, and all of a sudden they got on this tangent about the Golden Girls, and I know nothing about the Golden Girls. I just know it's the show, and I just was so annoyed with the group text. I I debated on leaving it. But then I didn't want to like you know have it be obvious that I just left the group message. Is that a thing where if you leave, can you get back in? I don't. I need to know that. It's more of a PSA for everybody. I did this with Anna's friend group. They have a big time text chat going on. They included me. I got the same thing, Stephen. I was really annoyed 
And I was like, this is what you guys do all day? Like, yeah. you just banter about nothing? It's like, just like, like just stay on topic. Like, if yeah. we're, we're going to the beach, let's talk about what we want to do at the beach. Let's, let's not talk about the Golden Girls. Who's bringing the firewood? I, I like that Steven and I are on the same page here. Um, I, I left the group chat. Anna was horrified. Yeah. She was like, they're going to know you left the chat. Because it says right in the group chat, John has left this conversation. <laughs> I left it. I bailed. And you know what? I was happier after. I don't need. I think I added you back in. No, it was a bunch of gifs or gifs or whatever oh, they're called. People gosh. like nonsense just going back and forth. So I'm with you. Yeah, sometimes yeah. Those, those gifs aren't funny. It's like, come on. If you're going to mm-hmm. do it, do it good. Most of them aren't funny. Yeah, or when, like, there's one person who's just a serial, like, thumbs-upper or a ha-har, and so then everybody, like, it's just, like, a whole string of people going, thumbs-up, heart, 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 this person liked the message. It's like, whoo. All right, here's here's another, can I have an extra piece? (sighs) Yeah. Because that was reminding me of something. We're going to do the five at five here shortly, but um, my extra peeve is, it's along the lines of what Steven brought up. Um, I, I work in sports radio, and I write a column. You do? Yeah. But a lot of my friends will text me and they'll text me like I'm I'm like it's a comment section for their sports <laughs> entertainment and not just one of them, like a lot of them. So I'm constantly getting my friends telling me what they think about sports topics that I'm not that into. <laughs> and I don't know what to say to them sometimes. But if it's something that I'm into, like you want to text me about the Pac-12 or the Ducks or the Beavers or whatnot, have at it. Or it's something I said on radio or, or you read like you read of mine, like, hey, you're responding to me, have at it. But it's the messages where it's just a thought they had mm-hmm. that they want to share with me. But I, I get that times like 10. So I'm constantly fielding like I'm like the moderator of the comment section. And it's my phone. Mm-hmm. Not, I can't leave it. So that's a peeve. Mm-hmm. So that's Stephen to your point. Unnecessary texting. I, I agree. Yeah, just uh, let's 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 focus our texting. Just gotta focus. <laughs> let's get it together, guys. Yeah. <laughs> let's do that. And on that note, the five at five. The five at five. I'm gonna start in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo, 49ers quarterback, said this week that he felt more freedom when he played last Sunday said he was loose and free out on the field playing with house money all the pressure was off well reporters this week kept asking Kyle Shanahan the 49ers coach about his comments Kyle Shanahan won't freely address Jimmy Garoppolo's remarks about feeling free Shanahan seemed annoyed with the questioning and he raised his eyebrows at one point saying look um You have to ask him what he meant by that, Shanahan told reporters. There was no difference in that game than any other game. But Jimmy Garoppolo saying he has more freedom, he felt freer. Kyle Shanahan says, I don't want to talk about that. Anna, go, number two. Continuing with the NFL, but not really, uh, Taylor Swift fans might think that she is lining up to play in the next Super Bowl halftime show. But there's reporting this afternoon, despite a variety report, that that simply is not true. There were some hints that maybe it would be her because the NFL sent out a press release at midnight announcing Apple Music would take Pepsi's spot as the sponsor of the show. Taylor Swift, Pepsi, you know, Ah. kind of thing. But uh, I don't know. 
So it's looks like she's not actually going to be in. The no show. Taylor Swift halftime. Yeah. I, I I don't need her there. I think I think uh, did we get who was last year? Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem. Mary How about Bell Bruno Williams, Mars this year? Are we ready for another Bruno Mars appearance? Too soon. Is it too soon? You think? Yeah. Kind of, it's I'm kind in. of a big deal. Sean, who should get? Who should be the halftime show? Yeah, I think uh, Silk Sonic, Anderson Pack, and Bruno Mars would be cool. But the last two have appealed to me. I think it's time yeah. to you know appeal to the other audience. Taylor Swift would probably be good. I wouldn't like it, but uh, can you can we stick a country artist in there? That's what they always Could. try to do. They always try to do that. They try to do a blend mashup. Number three in our five at five. Finger injury. Tom Brady's right ring finger has been an issue. He's been practicing, but he suffered an injury to his ring finger in the Buccaneers win over the Saints last weekend. Practiced Wednesday, practiced Thursday, practiced today. He's supposed to be a go, even though he's on the injury report. Looks like Brady uh, will be okay. He's saying it's not a big deal, but keep an eye on Brady's finger. Anna, number four. Uh, climate change activist lights himself and the tennis court on fire during Roger Federer's last tournament. Whoa. Yeah, this was in London, and um, he was wearing a white shirt that said End UK Private Jets and had a lighter with him before he sat down on the court near the net and set his arm and the court on fire. Wow. Committed. Committed. That's what I get from that. Yeah. Well. There's better ways to get your point across. Maybe. I think. We're talking about it now. Yeah, I guess he won. Finally, Nick Rolovich is number five. Former Washington State coach is speaking out now. First time he's done an interview since being fired. He says uh, there were ugly conversations that occurred with school administrators that led to his firing. He told the Daily Wire in an interview today, quote, a lack of answers and a lack of dialogue, end quote, caused him to not comply with Governor Jay Inslee's mandate in Washington. Washington State fired Rolovich and four assistant coaches last October. We broke the news right here on this radio show. The school fired Rolovich for cause, preventing him from receiving $9 million remaining on his contract. Rolovich has filed a $25 million wrongful termination claim against the school. He said, quote, the priest broke it down to me because he wanted to know why. And I said, this is just how I'm feeling. The priest told Rolovich, quote, that's your conscience talking to you. And the Catholic Church recognizes your conscience. Rolovich says his only regret was not revealing publicly while still at Washington State that he would not get the vaccine because of religious regions. Nick Rolovich suing Washington State. That's the five at five. I remember Pat Chun, the athletic director of Washington State, he uh, called me after that day's radio show and said, do you have a bug in my office? Because we broke the news, he said, like minutes after he fired fired, uh, Rolovich in his office. But um, Rolovich was a problem, I think, you know, at the beginning of the year. He was very... um, he was combative, intentionally combative, I thought, and difficult. And and that's kind of – he's been that way in his coaching career. But um, 
I don't know what's going to happen with this lawsuit. He's probably going to get a settlement of some kind. But it looks like he's now finally ready to talk about it. We should get him on the show. How about that? Uh, Tony's in Portland has a question about one of the peeves. Tony, what's up, man? Hey, John. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. Hey, uh, did your uh, food cart uh, peeve stem from uh, a Tuesday, this week, Tuesday incident by chance? No, it wasn't, but I know what you're talking about because I took the uh, I took the youngin, the one of the young daughters, to a food cart. Did you see me there? Yeah, I did. And, well, say uh, hi next did, time. You know, you're out um, with your family, and just I wanted to respect that. And, well, and, I appreciate that. But, uh, well, I just and I also wanted to say, uh, how long has Anna been on your show? I don't remember anymore. Feels like about a hundred oh, years. Anna, you're. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, uh, talk about a better half. Um, <laughs> you bring a lot to the show. Well done and well played. Uh, yeah, so. she just showed up one day, Tony, and then she has just not barged left. Just in. I mean, it's happening in my house, so, you know. <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah, I, what's he going to do? I, there's no lock on the door of the studio. That's all I can say. <laughs> I want you to leave it here. Uh, coming up, we'll talk about what's on tap this weekend. We'll get a visit also from Brian Howell. He's coming up in the next segment. He covers Colorado for the the Daily Camera in Boulder, Colorado. He also interviewed the Chancellor at Colorado this week. Had some interesting things to say. How much how much more time does Carl Durrell get as Colorado's coach? And what did the Chancellor say? You'll hear it next. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on seven fifty, the game. All right, on this show, we always like to go to the expert when we, uh, we want to know so- about something or talk about something that's going on. Brian Howell does a fantastic job covering Colorado. He is the beat reporter for Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera. He's written several sports books. A good follow on Twitter, at Brian Howell 33 He's joining us now. Uh, UCLA this week, will, will Colorado's players play for Carl Durrell? I keep asking myself that question. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I, I don't know if they'll play for Carl Durrell, but I think they'll play for themselves. And um, that's not to say they don't like Carl Durrell, but I think that they're, uh, I think they're really coming together as a team from everything I've heard. Now, how much that you know shows itself on Saturday, I don't know. But this team, from everything I've heard, you know, the intensity is still there, the belief is still there, the confidence is still there. Uh, we don't get to watch practice, but the energy through the gates uh, this this week was was higher than it's been in the last couple of weeks. So. I think there's a sense of urgency, and they're going to play, I would say, for each other, and that probably includes Carl. The quarterback position has been a problem. It's it's sort of been a, a big question mark week to week. What is happening with the quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, they've had three different plans in three different weeks, and uh, I would not be surprised if they've got a fourth different plan tomorrow. I mean, uh, they've kind of gone between Brendan Lewis, who was last year's starter, and J.T. Shroud, the former Tennessee transfer, that's who's played the, the first three games, basically. But, you know, Owen McCown, whose who's father is Josh, who played in the NFL for a couple decades as a true freshman, played the final series at Minnesota. And, uh, you know, he is in the mix. I mean, he, he was getting first-team reps this week and would not surprise me if he gets the start on Saturday. Yeah, I think at this point, if you're Carl Durrell, you got to do anything to kind of shake things up and try to find some offense. They'll, they're getting UCLA. UCLA has a six-game win streak. They're coming into Boulder. What kind of crowd? Who like? Will they get a crowd that shows up for this game? Not like they, not like they've been getting. I mean, I've been told that they project about forty-one thousand, which 
it's huge for UCLA. You know, <laughs> as, as you know, the Rose Bowl crowds have been have been low, but um, it's about they're projecting about forty one thousand, which is about six thousand less than they had in the opener uh, for TCU. Um, so it, it won't be a great crowd. How many of those people show up? I don't know, but that's tickets sold. So um, noon is a tough time for you know students, obviously, after a Friday night. So we'll see how many of them show up. But um, I don't anticipate it being a, a great crowd, but I think it should be a decent crowd. We're talking to Brian Howell, uh, who is in Colorado. He's the beat guy that you want to read if you want to know what's going on with Colorado football. Rick George, the AD, he issued that statement last week. It felt like he was trying to empathize with fans and go, look, I'm frustrated too. But what did you make of that, the AD coming out like that and making that statement? Yeah, I, I thought that he probably had to say something, although there's really nothing at this point that he can say that's going to make fans happy short of firing Carl Durrell. I mean, there's just a lot of fans that are ready to move on. And so, you know, for a lot of fans, that statement it was kind of, you know, white noise and, you know, they don't want to – they don't want to hear from Rick George, but I do think he had to kind of say something instead of just being silent and you know, kind of say, look, I get it. We're looking into the situation. He didn't, you know, throw his full support behind Carl. He just said, hey, we're trying to fix it. As you look at what Rick George faces, it looks like, you know, if he wants to buy out Carl Durrell's contract, that, you know, he'd owe him about $7.8 million plus whatever is left over from this year, $7.8 million from January on. Is that a number that Colorado's boosters are willing to absorb, or does that become an obstacle? I think it's a little bit of an obstacle, but it might get to a point where you've got to just get over that obstacle. Um, you know, there's some things that can mitigate that. You know, it is right now it would be about 8.7, so it's 7.8 plus about – a fourth of what he's owed for this year. So we've got 8.7, but you know, that's paid monthly over the course of two years. So you can do things to kind of mitigate that. Uh, plus if Carl gets a job and, and he's a coaching lifer, uh, he's respected in the NFL. I could see him um, getting an NFL position coaching job. Um, whatever he makes there would offset that. So I think that that buyout, it's a big number, but I think it would be a lot less um, or at least a decent chunk less. You know, after all the dust settles, so what, uh, some things they can get through. It, what's the what's the downside of you know staying with him for another year? And you know, because I originally thought it's not this year for Carl Durrell; it's probably probably next year if he doesn't get it done. But now I'm starting to wonder, like, do they have to do something this year? What's your thought on that? Yeah, I, I think just judging things off of the fans. I know that you know usually on social media we hear from the vocal minority, right? Uh, but basically, tone from the fan base is they are done. And I think that you really risk uh, losing a lot of your fan base if you stick with them. Um, you know, I, I've covered this program for 13 years, and this is one of the three or four roughest stretches I've seen, and I've never seen the head coach survive any of the other ones. So um, I would really be surprised um, if he survives past this year, unless there's some sort of miraculous turnaround and you know they're 5 and 4 in conference or 4 and 5 and they look a lot better in these last nine games. The Big 10 took UCLA, they also took Mel Tucker and I'm kind of trying to figure out was it just the timing of them taking Mel Tucker from Colorado that that you know caused the face plant of the program because I felt like Colorado was moving in the right direction and and when you look at Colorado I I think a reasonable approximation for Colorado is Washington. I, I, that same kind of support, that same kind of tradition. You know, wh what happened here? Is it was it just Mel Tucker leaving? No, I think it's a combination of things. And, and you're right; they were headed in the right direction. You know, and I think fans ought to give more credit to Mike McIntyre for getting things uh, going in the right direction. It was time to move on from him, I believe. Um, but 
I thought they replaced Mike McIntyre with a, with a good coach in Mel Tucker. Um, it just he happened to leave after 15 months, and you can't plan that. So um, they were going in the right direction, but then that changes everything. And then all of a sudden you throw in the pandemic. And, you know, things that no other coaches had to deal with before Carl Durrell is NIL and a transfer portal. And so you throw all those things in there, and Carl Durrell's kind of an NFL guy that's trying to adjust to college ball anyway. And then you throw in these new things. Um, I think I think all those things combined have been hard for Carl to adjust to. And the transfer portal is big because Colorado, uh, the university, has some um, tough standards as far as getting transfers in, and they really can't get a lot of the transfers in that their peers get in. Um, so, like, Carl Durrell was telling me, and it's not just football. I've heard it from the basketball coaches that they can go after some of these kids that are first-year transfers or grad transfers, but those middle transfers that have been at their school for – two, three years, they can't really get into school. And so they don't even try because, um, you know, one example is I heard at one point there was like 11 receivers they were looking at in the transfer portal, and the the university came back and said, well, nine of these guys we can't get into school. Wow. So, you know, when you're behind the eight ball on the transfer portal in this day and age, that makes it tough too. Brian Howell with us, Boulder Daily Camera in the Buff Zone, covers Colorado football, among other things. You sat down, you had a one-on-one with the chancellor at Colorado, Phil DiStefano. Um, you published that interview. Uh, fascinating stuff. He, he talked about a range of things. Let's start with the Pac-12 in general. Sounded like he was confident that the 10 remaining members are going to hold together. Yeah, and I think that's the message we've been hearing from uh, George Klyakov, obviously, and and uh, from other report reporters uh, that we've seen from you know some of your reporting and John Wilner. Um, that's kind of the the tone we're getting from the Pac-12, and um, you know, Phil DeStefano is very confident that that group will stay together. And uh, I think that once everybody kind of got through that initial shock of UCLA and USC leaving uh, in late June, I think that once that dust settled, it was like, all right, let's kind of take. You know, an inventory here of what's going on, and I think that right now that group is very well together. I think that that that's true that they're that they're bonded and they want to make this work. Now, I think that's interesting because that's one of the four corner schools for our listeners that you know the Big Twelve is m- rumored to be after. Um, was there any kind of talk in your world about the Big Twelve when all this broke in in UCLA and USC left? Uh, did that ever get serious or was it just chatter? I think it was just chatter and. You know, I fell into some of that a little bit, and, and I, w- I was asked in those early days where I think Colorado might be in, in, in a couple of years, and I was I was saying the Big 12, but um, I've backed off of that. I don't I don't see that. Um, I don't think there was ever any traction to Colorado going to the Big 12. I don't think it was ever serious uh, whatsoever. Um, sounds like there was some of that, a lot of that coming out of the Big 12 part of it, but not really the CU part. We've been talking a lot about Amazon. You asked the chancellor uh, about the digital opportunities. What, where's his mind on the Pac-12 network and the digital stuff? Yeah, he's really um, confident in what they have in the Pac-12 network and uh, the fact that you know they they still own 100 percent of it. And I know that sounds Larry Scott-like, right? <laughs> you know, that, hey, we own 100 percent of the network, but <laughs> he thinks that that's a that's a very marketable thing as they go through all this. That they could sell the rights to the Pac-12 network to somebody, um, and he's very for the digital aspects, and I think George is as well, George Klyapkoff. Um, and I see that being a big part of what uh, the Pac-12 does going forward. I, I don't think all their money is going to come from, like, an ESPN. I think they're going to figure out some way to get um, Amazon or Apple involved to where 
Uh, that's a big part of the distribution for the Pac-12. Feels like it. Uh, Phil DiStefano is the chancellor at Colorado. He was the former head of the Pac-12 CEO group at one time. Uh, we're talking to Brian Howell, who covers Colorado for the Boulder Daily Camera and Buff Zone. If you want to know what's going on with Colorado, this is the guy to talk to. Um, did DiStefano talk about expansion at all? Did you guys drill down on you know San Diego State, SMU, anybody? He did. Um, he didn't really want to talk about specific schools. Uh, but he has said that there's, you know, been some schools that are thrown around, but he, he's very for expansion, and, and it does sound like that's something that's been talked about, uh, you know, within that CEO group that um, at some point during these negotiations you've got to, you know, look at expanding. Um, I would be a little surprised, um, I don't know about you, but I'd be surprised if when it's all said and done, the, PAC the PAC-12 is only 10 schools. I, I think they're at some point going to look to add maybe a San Diego State and SMU um, schools like that. We're talking to Brian Howell. Uh, did, did Stefano give you an idea? Does does he share that frustration that Rick George and the fan base has when it comes to the trajectory of the football program? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I didn't have anything in that article, um, him talking about football, because his comments were almost exactly like Rick George's statement. Um, it's it's frustration, but, you know, hoping that they can get it right. And, you know, it, it's really up to Rick George, he was saying at this point, to kind of figure out what to do. But, um, they just want to get it right, and they would rather not have to come up with $8.7 million to throw at a coach to go away. Um, and so that's kind of the hope is, like, can we turn this around in these next couple of weeks? Um, but, yeah, there's definitely frustration from the top down. feels like there may be a panic move here for Durrell, and, and you talked about the quarterbacks. You know, I know that you're on record saying J.T. Shrout, give him the next two games, but do you think Durrell starts the freshman? Does he go with Owen McCown against UCLA? Yeah, my gut tells me he goes with Owen McCown. And I think that part of that is a little bit of a panic move. Um, I think he's trying to, you know, save his job, salvage the season, however you want to say it. Um, you know, it's probably a little of both. But um, I do think he goes with that move. Um, you know, Owen played fairly well. Uh, he got the last drive last week against Minnesota's backups and played fairly well. Um, and he's got a big arm. I mean, he, he's small, but he's got a big arm. And he's learned a lot from his dad. He played in the NFL for a long time. So um, I'm excited to see him play. But I would still give JT Shrout two more games. I mean, they, we have not seen JT play in normal circumstances yet. And I would like to see that before you move on from him. I actually think this is a, a good matchup for Colorado, if there is one in the Pac-12. Because everybody's kind of looking at Colorado going, they just stink. And But we've all seen teams that, you know, when faced with, hey, your coach is going to be fired, they come out for whatever reason, they they play really well. UCLA has not looked that great. Is there, as you talk to players and coaches, is there a little bit of hope this week that maybe hasn't existed in in normal weeks? Yeah, you know, it, it's strange um, to see the confidence out of this team considering how they played the first three weeks. And it's not at all cockiness, but it's still a belief that they that they can get this fixed. And you know, some of that is probably, you know, the fact that they're zero and zero in the conference and they believe that hey, this is a fresh start, but. When you watch them on film, and you know, coaches have said the same thing, the players have said the same thing, there are little moments where you're like, man, if they just would have hit that wide-open receiver, you know, now all of a sudden that drive keeps going and you can start 7-0 uh, instead of you know, you're down 14 nothing early on in this game. So there are little things, and I do think playing at home helps them that they can be back at home. They're usually better at home, and so I think that that could help them stay in this game with UCLA. First three weeks of the conference play, it's it's UCLA at home, it's at Arizona, and then it's Cal at home. You know, it, if he can't 
turn it around, if he can't win one or two of those, feels a little bit dire. Do you think he's, you know, and this could be his last home game, as you pointed out in print. Like, do you think if they lose this game and lose at Arizona, is that it for Darrell? Or do you get a sense on, you know, is it depending how they play? Yeah, I think that it could depend on how they play. Um, if they're not close in either of these next two, uh, and then they have the bye week after Arizona, I would be shocked if they didn't make a move at that point. Um, you know, I don't know what administration that is thinking, but I think I don't know how you get through that bye week without making that change if you've been blown out, um, especially at Arizona. And this is not to knock Arizona. I know they're better, but you know, this is a team that's been the bottom of the conference the last couple of years. You know, if you get blown out at their place, and now you're definitely at the very bottom of the conference. It's hard to really come back from that. And um, but if they play better these next two weeks, and maybe if they steal one, then uh, I think he could you know hang on to his job at least going uh, through the bye week. Yeah, the last month of the season, November, Colorado has Oregon at home. They're at USC. They're at Washington, and they host Utah. That could be that could be ugly, Brian. I you know what I I'll send you a beer. I, <laughs> you know. I'm not, Sure, if there's a team in the Pac-12 with a tougher November or or a tougher stretch of games anywhere on their schedule, I mean that's a brutal four games. Even if you are a good Colorado team, but that's even more brutal when yeah. you're playing like. That. Yeah, I thought Oregon had it bad because Oregon in November they do get Colorado in the first weekend, but then they've got Washington and Utah back to back, and then Oregon State. That could be a tough three games, but that's nothing like what Colorado's facing. So, uh, I wish you the best. Uh, thanks for doing what you do, Brian. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate you. You bet. Thanks for having me. Carl Durrell, this weekend may be his final weekend as Colorado's coach. He's got UCLA, or maybe they turn it around and they play for him. I don't know. But he, I, I feel like there are some guys who are made to be coordinators and just don't translate to being great head coaches. Carl Durrell feels like one of those guys. Reminds me a little bit of Mark Helfrich when he came in at Oregon. Would trust Helfrich with your offense. You'd trust him to recruit and develop a quarterback, work with a quarterback, call a game. But probably not a CEO in, in a you know in a in a major college program. So I think Carl Durrell's dealing with some of that as well. Um, big contrast there between Carl Durrell at Colorado and what Jed Fish did coming in at Arizona. And I think it's easy to kind of draw those comparisons. I mean, Fish drummed up a whole bunch of excitement and enthusiasm. Went to the transfer portal, got like 21 new players, um, and Durrell is still looking for a quarterback. Can't get a wide receiver. Um, really. Really tough time for Colorado after Mel Tucker left for Michigan State. But Rick George, that athletic director, if they don't win this game, they go on the road to Arizona next week. If he uh, doesn't make a change at that point, they come uh, after a bye week, they come back home against Cal. Feels like Colorado might be making a change. I want you to leave it here. We've got a big weekend of Pac-12 football coming up. We'll talk more about it. you got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up in the final segment, we'll do what's on tap. But in this segment, I want to talk a little bit about the Pac-12 Week 4 games. Let's rip back through these games. Uh, we gave our predictions on yesterday's show, but I kind of want to double down because, you know, things change, people change, or maybe you missed it. Let's start, guys, with UCLA at Colorado. We just talked to Brian Howell of the Boulder Daily Camera. Uh, 11 a.m. Saturday, Pac-12 Networks. Bruins are a 21-point favorite on the road 
for me, this game comes down to whether or not the Buffaloes will play for Carl Durrell. He's going to... He's going to Jimmy Jack around with the quarterback position, probably may start a freshman there, but I don't see it. I think UCLA boat races Colorado uh, and covers the 21. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to bet my hard-earned money on Colorado, no matter what it is. Uh, I don't have a good lean on it. I would I would go UCLA just because I don't trust Colorado, but, man, three touchdowns is a lot to give up. But, yeah, UCLA. No, I, I am going with the three touchdowns. I think I, I'm with John here. I, I think they, they boat race them. And, yeah. man, Colorado, like they're down to their fourth quarterback now. They've tried four different guys, potentially. I think they've tried three so far, maybe a fourth. It's just it's a huge mess there in Boulder. Yeah, you don't have a quarterback. If you have four, you don't have one. Uh, Oregon is at Washington State. Ducks, 1 p.m. Saturday, Fox. Ducks are favored by seven. I think it's going to be a great game. This might be the best game of the weekend. It is Washington State's disruptive front seven against Oregon's offense that looked like it clicked a week ago against BYU. I got Oregon. I think this game's close. I think Washington State has a chance because they have the home field to ugly this game up a little bit. But I haven't seen enough from Cam Ward in the Washington State offense to pick them to win it. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I haven't seen enough out of that Washington State offense. I I, I like the Ducks. I like the Ducks uh, laying the points as well. I think the Ducks are going to win by seven to ten points. Just I I have the trust in the Washington State defense. I haven't seen it, the offense even against bad opponents in Idaho or Colorado State. So I don't see how they're going to get going on the on the offensive side against Oregon. Yeah, if the strongest part about Washington State's team is their front seven, well, it, I think at Oregon it's a good matchup because they haven't given up a sack all season. Yeah. So I, I like the offensive line for the Ducks. And uh, yeah, Washington State obviously. You know, I'm not sure if Cam Ward is as good as we expected him to be. And I, I think real Oregon, it feels like there's really good uh, morale around the team right now. I like them by 10. Arizona's at Cal, 230 Pac-12 Networks. I was on the Cal bandwagon last week. Uh, I had a reader and a listener say, there's a bandwagon? Uh, I jump in, I'm jumping off the bandwagon. I'm going with the Wildcats this week. Uh, Wildcats are a three-point underdog. I think they win the game outright. Arizona over Cal. I just don't know that Arizona's ready to take that step of winning this Pac-12 game uh, on the road, even against the bad uh, average Cal team. I think Justin Wilcox is going to have something in store for Jaden Delora, who has looked uncomfortable the last few weeks behind center for Arizona. I like Cal. I think it's kind of a coin flip, but I'll, I'll favor Justin Wilcox and the Cal Golden Bears bouncing back after that uh, that heartbreaker against Notre Dame. USC's at Oregon State, 630 Pac-12 Networks. Biggest game in our state. I like Oregon State a lot, but I, I don't love them in this matchup. It, I I almost switched my pick overnight, but that's how torn I am over this Oregon State-USC game. If the Beavers can run the ball, if they can get into third and short, stay on the field, I think they can be right there with USC. So I think this is going to be a close game. I still picked USC to win it. Um, and I think it's like, you know, this is a one-score game. It, I don't think USC is going to blow Oregon State off the field, but I think Oregon State's going to have to be very good to win this game. I'm fascinated uh, by what the atmosphere is going to be like as well. Yeah, I'm with you. I hope it's a close game. Um, and I've been wrong on USC all year. I've faded them every single game against the spread. Uh, but for Oregon State fans, I like USC in this game. I, I might have relayed the points. So hopefully I'm wrong about it and Oregon State wins. I think it would be great for the state just to get that win over USC. But uh, that offense, man, I, it's going to be tough. Oregon State's not going to get blown off the field, but I think at the end, you'll know, just wear them down a little bit. I like USC. I think there's a clear blueprint for Oregon State to win, especially with uh, if Oregon State's offense comes to play against that weak defense. But I think it comes down to a possession, and I like USC by six. Stanford's at Washington, 730 FS1. 
Huskies are good. I I just like what they're doing right now. But here's the thing. Stanford's coming off a bye week, and the Pac-12 teams coming off bye weeks have historically been very good. So uh, this is a big test for Washington. I think they pass it. I think they beat Stanford. I think they cover. But I'm I'm really going to watch this game because I think this is a, a potential hiccup for Washington. I actually really like Stanford plus the points in this game. Uh, the Stanford-USC game at Stanford – where there really isn't home field advantage, kind of a neutral field. It was nine. USC was minus nine. So Washington at home is minus 13 and a half. Seems like a little bit of an overreaction to one win over Michigan State. Stanford has a really good quarterback, really good coaching staff. I like Stanford plus the points. I think it might actually be a lot closer uh, than the 13, and Stanford may have a chance to win this. Totally agree. I, I think a lot of people have kind of gotten off Stanford bandwagon since they lost to USC, but I think a lot of teams are going to lose to USC this year, and they're coming off that bye. David Shaw has a lot more experience than Kalen DeBoer. I, I kind of like Stanford to walk in there. Maybe not win the game, but I, I think it's, you know, maybe lose by three or something. I think it's a really close game. Utah's at Arizona State, 7.30 Saturday night, ESPN. Um, look, uh, Herm Edwards is gone, and sometimes you see teams that come out after a head coaching change. They play really well. I just don't think Arizona State's that team, and I think Utah's good. I think Utah boat races Arizona State. I have it 41-14. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head there. The one thing is there's rumors that uh, you know the coaching staff was leaking information to the opponents about Arizona State, their own information. So now that oh, Herm's boy. gone, maybe they're not leaking that information, and they'll be more prepared to go against Utah. Utah won't have the blueprint, but uh, all joking aside, I do think Utah will crush them. Yeah, no, Arizona State's a huge mess. I think Utah is capable of blowing these teams out. They, we saw them blow out San Diego State. We saw them really blow out uh, Southern Utah, and I think they do the same to a, uh, a really messy Arizona State program. Wow. Uh, yeah, that report coming out of The Athletic, Doug Holler, who joined us on this show earlier this week, said that um, opposing coaches told The Athletic that it wasn't hard to get intel on Arizona State because – there were people inside the athletic department who were leaking intel to opposing teams. Wow. What do you do if you're Arizona State? You fire the uh, you start firing people? You know, what do you do? Yeah, you gotta get rid of everybody, right? You gotta start over. And then you talked about this like do you go after a veteran coach or a new guy? I think you gotta start over and go new and just go all fresh and go from the ground up. Man, how 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 angry do you have to be? And like things are so bad at Arizona State that you got staff members leaking intel, apparently. Like, to me, this... I Look, I think there should already be some pressure on Ray Anderson, the athletic director, um, at Arizona State. Like, he hired Herm Edwards. This is his experiment. It didn't work out. Herm Edwards broke rules while you were there. The NCAA is investigating. Ray Anderson, the athletic director, he's got to be culpable in this. And if you have employees at Arizona State who are undermining the football program... You have a you have a cultural issue at Arizona State, and I think Ray Anderson should be in trouble at Arizona State. I don't know if he will be because Michael Crow, the university president there, is is uh, you know on his own island doing his own thing most of the time. No, I agree, man. It, it was a weird hire when it happened, and it did work out. So I think you got to be uh, criticized for that. And yeah, I mean, hot seat or not, but I think Arizona State, man, they're in trouble. They're in a worse spot when they put. Uh, Worse spot now than they were when they hired her members. It's not only their football program. Like, in my opinion, Bobby Hurley and the men's basketball program have been underachieving for years. Like, it feels like they always underachieve for the amount of talent that they have, and Hurley continues to have a job. So, yeah, just a, a lot of lot of shaky, lot of shaky things in that uh, Arizona State Athletic Department. 
What's on tap this weekend? I'll tell you what you should be watching next. Now, it's time for What's on Tap and What's on TV at the Independent on the BFT. I'm giving you your weekend user guide. UCLA plays Colorado in the Pac-12 Networks at 11 a.m. 1 o'clock, you got the Ducks at Washington State on Fox. You got to see that one. I'm going to skip ahead. Pac-12 Networks at 6.30. Two best offenses in the Pac-12. USC at Oregon State. Stanford plays Washington at 7.30 on FS1. A little less interested in that one, but still, if you're a Washington fan. Turning my focus to Sunday in the NFL action. Some big NFL games on Sunday, including the Falcons playing at the Seahawks. Marcus Mariota at Seattle. That game is at 125 on Fox. And the Niners playing the Broncos on Sunday night football, 520 on Sunday night. Catch that one on NBC. Guys, if you can only watch one Pac-12 game, what are you watching? It's Beavs USC for me, definitely. I, I want to see how Oregon State plays in this game. To get to 4-0, man, I asked you the question earlier, is this the most important game in Jonathan Smith's era as head coach? And you said, yeah. So that's all I needed to know. And, uh, yeah, hoping the Beavs get the, get the win. I, I think it's a tie between Oregon State-USC and Oregon-Washington State. Two great games. And I think, who, who real quick, who would you guys say has the better chance of winning, Oregon State or Washington State? Uh, Washington State, Oregon State. They're both at home. That's, I mean, I, it, I think right now, I, I had said earlier in the week, I felt 60-40 USC over Oregon State. I, game's trending more like 55-45 to me. It, you know, so I'm, on, I'm really on the fence with Oregon State and USC right now. Uh, I think Washington State and Oregon are about the same. Like, I, I think those two games are going to be great. I think they're, the, they're obviously going to be the best two games. And uh, I think I just hope Oregon's ready for Pullman. I've seen I watched Mario Cristobal go in there and get punched in the mouth. And I would look if Washington State beats Oregon, that's fine. If they're the better team, they beat Oregon, that's fine. But I don't want to see Oregon go in there and kind of look around wide-eyed and go, "Oh wow, we're in we're in an environment here." Like they played already in Atlanta against Georgia. You can't have that deer in the headlights look. What do you think? You, which team do you guys think have a better chance to win? I think it's Oregon State. I think Oregon State has a better chance to beat Washington State. Uh, I just not buying Washington State's offense yet to pull yeah. off another upset against Oregon. I'm, I'll ride with that. I think Oregon's- it's pretty even. I, I think both teams are probably around seven point underdogs, and I, you know, I think uh, I think it's it's pretty even. If I had to guess, probably Oregon State. I, I like Oregon right now. Next week we got big guests on the show as well. We're we're going to be locked in as uh, that we'll have fallout, of course, on Monday from whatever happens over the weekend, but. We will be focused on, uh, what is it, week five in in uh, the Pac-12. Uh, in Portland on 750 The Game, I want you to leave it here for Peter Sampson and the Pulse. He's coming up. He'll be all over it. And uh, grab a podcast of the show. If uh, you liked something you heard, share it with friends. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.